students of the Douglasia Institute, a duel is about to commence. For your safety and viewing pleasure, please be aware of the following rules. The dueling committee would like to inform you that the pilots under the stress of the duel may engage in language that is not suitable for all audiences, bringing up scenarios and plans that might be risque as well as causing psychic damage. Student listening discretion is advised. Under stress, pilots may spoil all of Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury, as well as any and all other Gundam and anime stories. We advise a supplemental watching to engage with the anime before watching a school-sanctioned replay of this duel. Finally, the views and opinions expressed here are that of the individual pilots and the dueling committee members and do not reflect the Dubtoxia Institute as a whole. Haro! The duel has finished. Thank you for listening, Haro. Good work out there. Good evening, one and all, and welcome to the dubbing committee. Here, the fine members put up dubs one against each other to duel so that they can take of their ownership. With me tonight, I have members of the dubbing committee. I have Jet. Hello. And I have Jamal. Gund! And I am your head host, Megan. Tonight here, we present before you the next in the great line of Gundam anime, who will put its dub up for judgment. That's right, we're talking about the 2022-2023 anime series Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury. Uh, so, before I get into the plot summary, and now I can actually talk like a normal human being, hi, we're talking about Gundam again! Ah, it's been... Oh, God, I don't even know how many years now. Probably three or four. Opa, Gundam no, style. Talked, no, we talked about Gundam during the summers, guys. Oh, I, We talked oh, about right, a Gundam right, movie right, during right. the summer. Sorry, I was thinking back to Iron Man and Orphans. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was thinking Iron Man and Orphans. That was the last one I was on, and I was like... You know, you, know, I, you know, I don't want to think about how many years ago that was. That'll make me feel old. <laughs> I promise you this time, nobody will be calling somebody their own Ichan. Opa, Gundam style. Uh, we might hear some Ode Sapa, though. <laughs> I want it. I'll, I have to bring... Uh, keep the Onisan, uh, Onich, Onisama thing in the back of your mind. I have a story for later about a Gundam series and that phrase. Um, no, but tonight we are here to talk about Mobile Suit Gundam, the Witch from Mercury, the... I've got to say it. The mega hit... Of 2022-2023 that I think a bunch of people went into going, Alright, this will be a perfectly fine Gundam anime. And then we met the space Umfi. What's she gonna do? Oh my god, she's murdering people. <laughs> and then a couple of months later, I woke up on a crisp October morning to hear... Holy shit, this is gay! <laughs> yeah, so. I, was, <laughs> yeah, I think that was the part that surprised me. Like, I watched the... Like, I watched the prologue, I went, Okay, yeah, this is this is perfectly fine, I'll, I'll, like, I'll watch it. Then I kept hearing everyone say, like, Oh my god, it's Uta, and I'm like, wait, really? <laughs> it's, it's Utena, it's The Tempest, it's... 
all the fun of Gundam's politics, uh, all condensed to 24 episodes. Gun- well, 25 if you count the OVA. <laughs> Gundam! Uh, so let's get uh, kicked off with the summary, which is in the year Ad Solo 101. Uh, researchers at the Vondas Institute create GUN, an advanced brain-computer interface that enables the human nervous system to control artificial appendices and organs. The purpose of GUN was to enable humans to survive in the harsh environment of space. After receiving funds from the mobile suit manufacturer Ox Earth, the, tele- the technology was developed into the GUN format and employed for military use, leading to the creation of GUN arms. Mobile suits that use the gun format to increase the performance of their pilots. However, extensive use of gunned arms results in the pirates being crippled or even killed. In response, the Mobile Suit Development Council, led by the top mobile suit developing companies, ordered a permanent ban on the gun format and its application. Council member Delling Rembrandt deployed, deployed special forces to Team Dominicus to destroy the Vondis uh, research facility. Faulkner killing everybody aboard to erase traces of its technology. Only two people survived. Mobile suit test pilot Eleonora Saima and her four-year-old daughter Eric Samaya. In the aftermath, those responsible for the development of the gun format were ostracized. And because the team was primarily composed of women, they became known as witches. In Ad Stella 122, 21 years after the Vandis incident, Soleta Mercury transfers from Mercury to the Osteska School of Technology, an academic intern institute run by the megacorp the burnett group upon arrival she encounters a girl escaping the institute minori rembrandt who wants to escape the control of her father as their path cross in the academy with different ambition and goals soletta will have to prove her worth as a pilot into the academy alongside the gundam aerial a mobile suit built with a forbidden gun format technology just a reminder that gundam is not an aerial until it is gundam is Ariel is not a Gundam until we say it's a Gundam. Oh, hot damn. This is a Gundam. (laughs) (laughs) Oopsie whoopsie. We made a fucky wucky. Ariel is in fact a Gundam. Uh, Gee, I wonder what gave it away. (laughs) And along the way, there are, you know, the normal Gundam things like war politics and politics and politics and murder. Why did my TV just randomly flicker? <laughs> your, sp- your 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 TV is possessed by a Gundam. Uh, but this is this is kind of interesting as a dub because The Witch from Mercury is the first Gundam series that was primarily recorded in Texas. Um, There's a all- lot of the other ones have been done through Canada, New York, and LA. This one was the first with the primarily Texas cast. Uh, so are you guys ready to jump into the ADR and writer, uh, the ADR team and the writers of, writer of the show? Will do, but there's also another first to this. What? I'm ready to jump into it, but there's also another first to this. It's also the only Gundam so far with a female protagonist. Yeah, that's true. This is the first Gundam with a female protagonist. Uh, it is, however, the fir- not the first Gundam to have a gay lead, as Amuro was uh, breaking that barrier by punching Char in the face years ago. Ah, uh, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I Listen, kids, if anybody tells you Gundam is straight, that's a lie. Look at Char and Amuro. If you've been in a fight for more than seven years, you're legally in love. I was just about to pick uh, that up. <laughs> 
Also, you know, IBO ended in two women getting together after being in a polyamorous relationship and one of them fucking a dude in a cat in a cockpit, so uh Yeah, you know. <laughs> I be I okay. Look, let's be real. G witch is for the is for like lesbians. Iron blooded orphan is for like asexual and poly, polyamorous people. Because I'll, I'll be real, as somebody who's like a quarter of the way through IBO, Naze Turbine is the only harem protagonist I respect. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh. So jumping back into the pilot seat for this, piloting our dub is Jason Lord at the helm as lead director, and he is assisted by Aaron Roberts, Ben Ballaman, Sita, Kevin Thowell, and Marcus Stimmick. And on the writing side, we have Alex Mai. Uh, due to the large cast that we have to go over after this, uh, we're going to keep our credits uh, very short. Jason Lord uh, has directed series such as Dead Mount Death Play, and Alex Mai wrote the scripts for Classroom of the Elite Season 2. Uh, so, uh, let's just kick it off. How do you guys feel about the directing and writing on this? Uh, writing, I, uh, writing is uh, really good. I really liked it. I really liked the script for this one. Uh, I watched the uh, show in Japanese, and it was like pretty uh, one to one, I would say, for the most part. Um, I was—I mean, a little bit, a little bit of fussing up here and there because you know you gotta can't have a text with someone after that. And I said, like, and I felt like they tended, and I felt like whatever they did that felt appropriate. And uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, considering Sunrise probably wants over this like a hawk, it's kind of about what I would expect on that end. Uh, Direction-wise, this was kind of the first thing I've. This is kind of my first Jason Lord done, so I wasn't really quite sure what to expect. Uh, I think for the most part the direction was like really solid. Uh, so I, so I think that so I thought all the performances were like really well, so well acted, and I wouldn't have any complaints on that one. On that front, uh, having said that, I will say I did type. I did have a few nitpicks about how a few characters were kind of directed to sound in terms of like uh, character voices that they used. Uh, in a sense, it kind of reminded me of, and this is gonna sound like a weird thing, but it's got a role for you. Uh, in a way, it kind of reminded me of like uh, mid two thousands, like uh, I don't know, like Cinepolis stuff, like Legion Argo in that respect, gotcha. where, so, uh, where you have characters who are kind of like directed to have like very specific character voices, where to, where the characters are made to sound like very distinct. So you know, if you're looking away from the screen, you can easily tell who's talking again. And that kind of thing could be charming in its own way, but at the but at the same time, or something like this, I was also kind of expecting, you know, I was also kind of expecting it to be a little more grounded in some places, and some character voices are maybe a little more exaggerated than I would have expected. Like it's not a deal breaker, but it is, but it is something I noticed. Awesome, Jamal. Uh, yeah, so. Before this, I did check out Death by Death Play, and I thought his direction was pretty solid. He he did a very spectacular job with this dub. I mean, having to direct a large cast required a large team at work. I know, I know, he I think he was like a big Gundam fan from back in the day. And like, I understand he has a good uh, sense of rhythm and stuff because apparently he used to be a drum major. But I think what really made this work is that like, well. Fourth thing, I remember that he's he is new to ADR direction, but he has done a 
some video game direction before because he directed a project called uh, Freedom Planet years ago. <laughs> that may or may not by a little known individual you might have heard of named Don Bennett. So I was familiar with for, with this work from a long time ago, so I know that he can handle properties like these with ease, especially when it comes to what he's very passionate about. That having been said, I did have one qualm with casting, but it was less the casting and more the certain people's reception to a certain character, but I think I'll expand more on that when we get to her. <laughs> As for the writing, it was very pristine. I didn't really notice anything out of the ordinary, nothing that took me out of the show or anything. And Alex did a Alex did a very good job with the script he had. I, I know he had some uh, some help as well because I think it was also uh, Jared Green and Natalie Van Sistine on this as well. So, like I said, a big property such as this, you need a lot, you need as much staff as you can get on this because I think Jason had more time to cope with the show because this show came out like a season after it aired yeah. this sub. So he. Once he got a hold of that, he knew what he had to do as soon as he was announced for this project. Yeah, he he. I think they held back dubbing it. I think to be closest so that they could dub season two while season part two, season two while it was airing. Um, are you good, Jamal, or you want to keep going? I just want to say I don't know if like he knew there was gonna be a season two out at the time, but the time got that was. Very spectacular, and I think he really knocked it out of the park. So, yeah, for me, it was it was a little different. I think um, I think the writing in the show was really good. Like, I can't say anything bad about Alex Mai's writing. I think that he did keep it grounded. Okay, yeah. So let me add this back. Yes, uh, Alex Mai, J- uh, Jared Green wrote allegedly episode eighteen, and Natalie Van Sistine wrote. Uh, a bit for season two. Um, but I think they definitely kept a lot of what worked. He, Alex might kept a lot of really like what worked for, um, what worked for the writing in the show that this is a series like most Gundams that is rooted in very real world politics. Yeah. Um, that's just that's just an aspect of Gundam as a franchise that is there is that as much as Gundam is a toy selling a toy selling machine in Japan it still has a lot that it's talking about um so i think that Alex really works there and then we come to the direction which i think is a little bit more inconsistent than i would have personally liked but I think that's something I've noticed kind of across the couple of Gundam dubs I've watched pretty much. Um, I think that there are some secondary characters where Alex is really maybe pushing some people's roles or sounds. I know we're not talking about them, but some of the Pell Grannies, I'm going to call them. Uh, some of them sound, even though they all look the same age, they sound widely varied range apart uh, in ages, despite the way that they look. There are some, maybe, I think, decisions on character acting that I necessarily wouldn't have made. And it works for some people I know, but it doesn't work for other people I know. And then I think kind of the biggest 
nail kicker that is for this dub is that a little more care, I think, could have been done into matching the characters that the way that they look to the people playing the voices. While there are characters in the series who are clearly uh, Mena, Middle Eastern, North African, that are played by there, there are others who aren't. Um, it really does feel like after the initial kind of backlash to when the cast was announced that Jason Lord did at least do good to get the other characters around. But that being said, I do think that... In the grander perspective of Gundam, especially comparing the last two major franchise dubs, G-Witch had a, a few missteps, but if you go back and look at, like, Iron-Blooded Orphans cast, there are some pretty egregious ones in there, too. Oh, 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 oh yeah, I'm not, not, not going to dispute that. It is, like, it, 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 it is definitely, like, mid-2010s bags in that respect, uh... Yeah. yeah, like it, it's it's a widely inconsistent it's a widely consistent issue across Gundam dubs as a franchise in some cases. But it's it's like it's not that we're like not talking about it. We'll obviously talk about it more like when we get into those particular characters, but it is something that is sadly has to be said, especially given recents going around at the time of this recording. Um issues in the VO sphere. And it's just one of those things that you kind of have to bring it up, especially in my case, because out of the three of us on this recording, I'm the white person. Um, I'm going to say that. And at least in my position, if I'm seeing this as a fellow white person, I should be calling this out so that these two guys don't have to always keep doing it. Like, I think that, hey, Jason, you did a really great job directing. Maybe next time you get a property that has characters who are clearly based not in, like, I, I don't even want to say, like, some fantasy races, because it's obviously very clear, like, sometimes you watch fantasy anime and it's like, this is clearly based off of this race of people one-to-one real life. Uh, but in a show like Gundam, where a lot of these characters actually come from these countries... Of descent, it's like, please do your due diligence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, please do your due diligence for like 10 minutes and audition these people and give them the shot because you may have had the great performance. And I'm not going to say like these characters, these actors who play their characters didn't give good performances if they did give good performances. I'm just saying you probably could have also gotten a performance that is just as good, if not better, from an actor who might represent the character more. Eh, well said. <laughs> Alright, are you guys ready to move on to our first set of characters? Yep. Yep. Alright, so despite this, you know, being Gundam at school, uh, there are a lot of people kind of trying to murder you or use you as like a chess piece. So we're gonna talk about the first set of characters who would do that. They are Sarius, Zanelli, Vim, Jeturk. <laughs> I have to laugh because if you switch <laughs> Very close to my dad's name, the first name. Oh, God. Um, yeah, if you put the J instead of the V, there we go. Uh, Sophie Pulane and Noria Dunak. Uh, Saria Zanelli is the head of the Zanelli Corporation. He is one of the four megacorps in the uh, Barrett, Barrett group. He is, 
Shadik's adopted father, you find out that him and his uh, corporation have this academy where they take in Earth orphans and raise them up. Uh, pretty much, he spends a lot of time just being there like, okay, son, do the thing that I ask you to do until in season two he becomes uh, he becomes the uh, hostage of choice for Shadik's plan. Yeah, uh, yeah he is uh, he's like maybe the one person among the Megacorps who is like, if not necessarily trying to do the right thing, he at least, like, isn't constantly trying to escape in the background. Uh, on his opposite is Vim Jeter, a man so abrasive and so angry who has tried to kill Delling Rembrandt at least twice, is kind of a huge asshole to his sons. Yep. Mostly his son, Gru- his son, uh, Gruel, uh, which... His aggression and pride gets the better of him and gives his son PTSD when he gets stabbed at the end of season one and blows up in space. As you do. It's a Gundam. You know? <laughs> <laughs> then we have Sophie Poulinet. She is a, wit- a quote-unquote witch from Earth, a terrorist of the Dawnfold group. She is the far more psychotic and crazy one who wants to chase to let her down and calls her big sister. Uh... She just wants to live and feel alive, and that's why she dies first. Um, in season two, uh, and then we have Noria. Noria is the far more quiet one, yet she also wants and seeks revenge on the world for putting Earth the way it is. As in the world of uh, Witch from Mercury, Earth is basically being used for its resources and constantly dialed on by the people who live in space. Uh, so there, Noria goes with Sophie to try to infiltrate the quote-unquote Earth house uh, on the at the school, eventually of being part of Shuddick's plan. Eventually she decides to just let loose and destroy everything that has destroyed her happiness because she misses Sophie and she much to uh, my favorite, one of my favorite characters, Chagrin, uh, passes away in the attacks. Playing Sarius Zanelli is Mike Smith. Playing uh, Vim Jetturk is Chris Sabat. Playing Sophie Poulinet is Emmy Lowe. And playing Noria Danak is Megan Shipman. Mike Smith, you'll actually know as the titular Kurkurs Doen in Mobile Suit Gundam. Kurkurs Donan's Island, an, an entire movie made off an episode of, of of Gundam that they all wanted to ignore existed. Ah, uh, that's Darwin for you. Um, Christopher Sabat, you guys will all know very well, but I think everybody kind of knows him as. Uh, I think this is the most appropriate character to put for Chris, given given Vim's pride in uh, Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Except for Vegeta's works. a. Except for Vegeta's a good dad. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Between, yeah, you would much rather have Vegeta than between the two. Uh, Megan Chipman, you'll know as uh, Gigi on Saluda in Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway, and Emmy Lowe, you'll know as Lucy in Cyberpunk Edge Runners. All right, so I I feel like it's easier to start with Vim and. And Sarius, because out of the four characters here, those two do the least. Can we call uh, yeah. can we call Sarius by his actual name, though? Robert Freeman? As, uh, as, uh, yeah, you're not wrong. It really does just look like Robert Freeman. From the I, I really cannot <laughs> see it. Uh. Robert Freeman in space! <laughs> 
<laughs> all somebody please just edit all of Sirius's interactions with Shadik with that character, please. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, as mentioned before, Sirius is just kind of like the one guy who's just sort of you know taking, as uh, you know, trying to take his business seriously, trying to do things by the book, and I feel like Mike's performance gets that across really well. Which is why he's, which is why he can kind of see the character getting very clearly frustrated by everyone else who's constantly scheming all the time. He's the one. He's the one guy who's like, "Really, you fucking assholes!" Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, uh, yeah, and you can especially tell, especially tell what it, and it's especially interesting when his relationship with Jenny Equerb, where where he knows she needs up to something, but he's not quite sure what it is, and and. If he's not necessarily rolling along with it, he is just kind of, I guess, not doing too much to stop him, necessarily. Just there, like, Shadik, what are you doing? Shadik, nothing, Dad. Are you sure? Yeah, nothing. Until he gets kidnapped by a bunch of girls. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think Mark does a good job there. And I also kind of, like... So, and, and I also thought his interaction with uh, Miori toward the end of the show was pretty interesting where, like, everything's going wrong and, like, you have to make a decision about, like, what to do with the fears of the company. And he's, and, so, and he's, like, and he's willing to be the fall guy to keep the company going. It's like, you know what? There's not many, there's, like, there's almost no corporate CEOs who would do that. So you know what? Good on him. You get one. <laughs> you get one, Mr. CEO, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, I liked his performance, too. I would say it's not maybe the most memorable performance, seeing as poor poor Mr. Zanelli, you know, just kind of gets, like, I'm over here, now I'm over here. And, like, most of season two, he spent locked in a fucking, locked in a fucking pod. Yep. Like, yeah. we put we put your dad in a storage container in space and we're keeping him hostage. Yeah, he's basically, like, the only CEO that kind of gets jobbed. He's the CEO who deserves the least to get jobbed in this show, because, like, even he was kind of like, wait, you fucking murdered all those people? What the hell? Like, he seemed very anti, like, destroying, uh, destroying everything at the beginning of the, of the show, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was one of the few voices of reason there. And then, uh, Christopher Sabbath just... Spitting absolute venom as, uh, as, a Mr. Vim. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, it really is, it really is nice whenever Chris Abbott is playing, like, absolute slyballs. It, it doesn't happen very often, when it does, it's delightful. They should have changed his name from Vim to Vitriol. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Vim is probably, like, I would say Vim is, like, third place in Terrible Parents in this show. Um... In terms of things. Um, but Savage's performance is a ton of fun. It's just like, it's literally, hey, Chris, I need you to be the worst human possible for like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, he can do that easily. He's a, he's a jokester in the booth, I hear sometimes. So it's easy for him to be his absolute worst, even when he, do even when he doesn't mean it all that well, you know? It's not just, that's the nature of being an actor sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's like, eh, but, eh, but, yeah, he really does just spew absolute vitriol with this character. It's like, eh, just a guy who's just very clearly willing to do whatever it takes to get ahead, whether it's assassination or music of his own kids. And it's like, I don't I, think he puts Guel through is just really depressing. Like, this, it's like, eh, it's just, yeah, just very clear. He does not think of Guel as like an actual person and just, you know, a tool for abuse for his own. Oh. No, go ahead. Are you going to say something? No, I was going to say, I don't think he thinks a lot of things through because there was at one point he thought that Donna Ford was betraying him, so he set out in a, in a mobile suit only to accidentally chase down his son and get killed by him. And that's where I went, oh, shit, in the Discord. I was like, holy Yeah. Well, okay, we say that I believe orphans kids get it, but let's be real. There is not a single gun where a kid does not get traumatized in a robot. It's it's part of it's 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 just part of the it's just part of the job. You got to get traumatized, kids. I think the other thing too is I think the only time you actually see him be kind of like gentle towards his kids are when you know Grell's got the sword stabbing into it. Yeah, yeah literally yeah. right as he's about to die, he's like, that, "Oh, I'm glad you're okay." That's it's like, damn. That's literally his only turning point, and then. When it happened, he Boom. did the check. Uh, he's... Yeah, that, that, that had to be very traumatizing for Grell, because he's like... Cause he's... Well, Grell's, we... Grell's week at that point is utter fucking shit. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, daddy... Daddy Soju sends you to work in a factory, <laughs> then you find out... <laughs> like, and then, you know, you find out you killed him. It's, it's a week. Whoopsie! Yeah, and, like, the other time you actually ever see him, I think, be kind of gentle is the day that he introduced Lauda and Grawl to each other. Yeah. And, like, that's it. Speaking of people who have no gentleness, Megan Shipman! Hi there, listeners. It's Anthony Jamal from the Cutting Room Floor. Uh, during our discussion of the uh, Donna Fold characters, we accidentally mixed up the actors... Whoopsie, so you may hear us talk about Megan Shipman and Sophie and Emilio as Doria. Please take that with a grain of salt and uh, follow this conversation best you can. Thank you for listening. This is unlike, I don't really hear Megan Shipman do a lot of roles where she gets to do like the crazy girl a ton. I feel like that's usually reserved for a lot of other female actors and not her. Um... So, but this year, people have determined to do that differently. Thank you, Jason Lord and Jeremy Inman, if you know you know on the second one. Um, but Megan's... It's like... You know there's a sense of childish there to Sophie's character because she is this emotionally stunted war victim. But it's also clear that she's been used by Dawnfold and the adults around her to become this psychotic zealot. And Megan's performance really nails that. Oh, yeah. Especially when she's in the fight against Suleta at the Royal Rumble, which... Yeah, nothing says, uh... Nothing says, uh... School Unity, like, hey, everybody... Team Deathmatch. Well, it was, um, it was more Halo than Team Deathmatch. Also, you said Royal Rumble, and I can't think of Gundams wrestling each other. 
I mean, if, I mean, if you want that, you can uh, just fire up G Gundam. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yeah. There's a horse in that. Really there's gotta, a horse Gundam in there. Oh, there's, yeah, Jamal, there's a horse yeah, Gundam in there. I, I, I really gotta, gotta watch really G Gundam in some point. I forgot about that. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure our friend Getter would be more than willing to sit and watch G Gundam. I think he was the one that posted that the Discord. No, it, yes, probably. He's the he that man lives, breathes, eats, and shits Gundam. Um, love you, buddy. Um, but like, just she's just going wild, and I remember it's like her egging Suleta on to commit mur murder. And just Megan's like, it's like watching a vis- it's like watching a dog continuously go after a steak. Or, uh, or more like an African wild dog, because those are technically, like, some of the most vicious hunters in the world. Where, like, she's just gonna keep on attacking until she gets what she wants. And I really like Megan's, like, performance in that, where it's like, it's still teenage girl, but it's also, like, when she gets a hold of you, she's gonna carve out your kidney. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think probably the turning point that got me was uh, when she gets Yuffie at the end of the Rumble Ring by a Kanachi's gun. And uh, Ellen is just crying out in horror, so. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I did feel, yeah, I did feel really bad for her there. Also, like, <laughs> go, go ahead. That's, that's how, that's how and I, and I was gonna say, oh, I was gonna say, yeah, I'm really sad she died. Heck of an artist, though. <laughs> yeah, it's like she was finally starting to open up, finally starting to become human, starting to feel human again, and then, bam, it's all taken away from her. <laughs> and then she was given the chance to murder. Yeah, for a gun, there are too many. For Gundam, there aren't too many moments that are, like... I feel like with a lot of Gundam stuff, they're, like... They're, you know, you get an occasional thing that's supposed to be really serious, but in execution, it's extremely funny. And, so, and I feel like there isn't too much of this compared to, like, the other Gundams I've seen. But I do appreciate just the moment of, like, you get Chinese going, like, okay, well, you know what? I think we need to stir up some things so he, like... <laughs> so he finally decided... So he finally decides to, you know, let's so, so let Ori and his loose, and it just immediately bolts out. Yeah. <laughs> just like, soon as the doors open, just bye. <laughs> it's time to go. Beep beep. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, and I like Emmy's performance too. Just like the pain and hollowness of somebody who's forced to see all these atrocities. Yeah, and. The only way she sees a way out is not through something like the art that she draws, but rather through immense violence. Uh, Nori is the one that draws the art. Emmy, uh, Sophie's the one that's a little childish and wants to let her be a big sister. And has all the all the stuffed animals. Yeah. Yep. She brought them all to school with her. Oh, yeah, that was cute and also kind of sad in a way. Yeah. Like, Sophie's a little... Yeah, Sophie's a little... I'm a crazy side, but all she wanted was a family. 
Yeah. It's, it's, I, I mean, it's not hurtful. I mean, it's not hurtful. Everyone in space is committing war crimes. I, I get. Welcome to the War Crimes Academy. I get a lot of you. Emmy's performance kind of gave me rid of you, goof vibes. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's like, oh my god, this is going to obsessive. Then you understand why. Then next thing you know, she just goes <laughs> to, she just pushes herself to the edge and her body can't take no more and she's dead. Yeah, to which, yeah, to which, on that note, uh, given the, to which, on that note, given the rather heavy kind of vibes on the show when just like, the way the character was introduced, she was actually much less of a yandere than I was expecting her to be. <laughs> Like, 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 yeah, she is a little bit, but not, like, as much as, as you probably would have expected for something like this. Yeah. It's where, oh, I want to be my big sister. It's like, yeah, you know what, good for you. And then, and then just, like, uh, just poor Emmy's character. Like, I really liked her performance as Noria. Sophie. I'm oh, sorry. Because it is so, like, it's just so full of pain and sorrow, and it's also somewhat childish, but it's also, like, she's just, just the idea, I think at one point she goes, I don't want to live in a world without Sophie. Uh, so, uh yeah, yeah, I do remember that bit, that was pretty depressing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, I like uh, yeah, I like these two performances a lot. I thought both really, I thought both really got the uh, right tone they needed for those characters. Just a bunch of kids dealing with really terrible circumstances, and you know, as try to you know try to do their best to, if not I guess if not necessarily I guess deal with their circumstances. I guess, you know, uh, seek some sort of vengeance, which might not necessarily be the correct way to go about things, but it is definitely a path that's at least understandable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys good to move on to the next section? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm good. All right, so from people who want to murder to the people allowing school fight club to happen. Um, the dueling committee... These are the, basically they're like the kids of the four major houses that are at the top of the megacorps. They run a committee in which students can say, hey, that guy looked at me funny. I'm going to fight him with my mobile suit for something. And they're like, well, put your shit on the table and you guys can team death, you guys can just deathmatch it out. Until one of you wins and one of you loses. But in, more importantly, the dueling committee system is what was set up by uh, Minore's father to essentially determine who was going to marry her when she comes of age. And of course, Minore hates this because how dare she have agency in her life? Oh, yes, uh, 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 now yes, I get yep, you uh, to the reference. Yes, uh, yep, uh, yeah, if you see Utena, yeah, this is really just a suit of cats with Utena. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, like, like, like not even like jokes, it's like almost the exact same character types, uh, archetypes as across the board. It's amazing. Yeah. So, and essentially the dueling committee, a lot of the heads uh, also fight over uh, who's interested in our wonderful lesbians. Um, 
to the collective answer of none of you get them, go fuck yourselves. Uh, except for two of them. Well, three of them. Three of them don't particularly care. Uh, so first up, we have Gruul Jeturk. He is the original ace hotshot prideful bad boy of the school. Uh, he ends up getting his ass beat in the first episode because uh, he kept being mean to Minaray and Suleta told him to apologize. And from there, Gruul Jeturk's world kind of sucks for a long time until the ending. Yep, uh, yep. And, uh, yeah, yep. And the in terms of references, uh, this character's basically we have to do at home. Uh, uh, Gruul Jeturk also has another name, and that is uh, Bob the Builder. Can he fix it? No, he can't. I just call him the third main character, so. He kind of is. Um, wait till we meet. Then we also have his. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, wait till we meet the fourth main character. Uh, then we have Gruul's little brother, Lauda. Nelly, Lauda, uh, essentially, his entire character is what would my big brother do? Um, he is kind of Gruul's shadow and his biggest supporter until he learns that Gruul, you know, accidentally murked their dad. And then he decides to try to get back at him instead of fucking helping when they needed him to and fighting him in space only to get shot by the little chihuahua girl in Gruul's house played by Electric Sipton, uh, who helps them. Lauda is the other character who actually gets canonically with somebody by the end of the show. So good job, Lauda. Uh, good for you, buddy. Uh, then we have the fourth main character, Shadik Zanelli. Shadik is the adopted uh, son of Z uh, Saris, who has risen to basically be his right-hand man in the Zanelli Corporation. Except for that Shadik is playing, well, uh, Saris is playing checker, Shadik is playing uh, 5D chess. Uh, uh <laughs> yeah, I would say this, yeah, I would say this character is the Aku of this show, and he kind of... And he kind of comes close, but, you know, but instead of being, like, the physical embodiment of the male patriarchy, it's like, oh, he's just got a guy who's trying his best to, you know, think he can get ahead with keeping everyone, but there are more powerful adults in the room, so, uh... Yeah, and it's very clear that he is also in love with Mina Ray and more in rivals with Gruul in that sense, because he thinks that Gruul will defile Minore. Uh except for the only, and I will say the other thing, the difference between Shadik and uh, Akio is that if they ever make a movie of Gundam, The Witcher Mercury, I do not think that Shadik will fall out of a window, off a window balcony in, canomic, in comical fashion. See, you said fourth uh, main character. I was thinking more Duda or Attack. What are the antagonists? <laughs> Jet knows the exact thing that I'm talking about. As I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen the yeah. It's been a while since I've seen the Utah movie, and I remember the TV series more. But yeah, falling off the roof was a thing. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he he falls off the balcony and dies in the movie. Uh, next up, we have my favorite characters. <laughs> The collective of our our good f our okay. I hate that Sunrise decided to make me a uh, entire character based off of. Uh, you just know what Elon Ellen. There are three of him. Yeah, and they have each of three have a personality. He is an altered person for the uh, uh, Pell Corporation to try to research uh, Gundam and stuff. The first one really likes Suleta, and uh, ironically, he died the week before my birthday when the show aired. 
Ah, uh, yes, he is the evil one. Yeah. yeah. Everybody I know kept making happy birthday jokes at me for a month, a week, because of that. Because I was pissed. Uh, then there is Elon 5. He's a slut. Yep, he is the slutty one. And then there's Elon, then there's Elon, the real one, who is just kind of a bitch. That's yeah. all I can call him. Uh, then we have the two members of the dueling committee who have no connections to a lot of things and are just there to be the peanut gallery. We have uh, Cecilia Dote and Roji Kshante. Uh, Cecilia is the girl who I think everybody kind of made the waifu of G-Witch, unfortunately. That's why I, but said, she is... that's why I said the fourth big character, because there's a, somehow <laughs> a lot of fat art of her. Yeah, she is very much kind of this sarcastic uh, observer type, as well as Roji, who is a quiet... Uh, quiet boy who kind of watches and downloads everything. He also has uh, a horror voice by Jerry Jewel. Um, playing Gruel is Bradley Gareth. Playing Lauda is Nazish Tarsha. Playing Shadik is Alejandra Saab. Playing the Elons is Air- Ellens is Aaron Dismute. Playing Celica is Cassie Uelu. And playing Roji is Kristen Payne. Who? Bradley Gareth, you'll know, is Jubei Aryu in Blue Lock. Nazish Tarsha is Jude in the Saint's Magic Power is Omnipotent. Alejandro Saab is Scorpio Milo in Saint Seiya. Aaron Dismuke is Reinhard, Reinhard von Lohengrom in Legends of the Galactic Heroes, Denua Tesse, Crunchyroll Dub Season 4. Cassiuelu is Anji Agnes Mille Morton in Sweet Reincarnation. And Kristen Payne is young Mikazuki Shinonome uh, and Lucifer in the Biscuit Hammer. I'm sorry I brought that one up, Jet. Uh, it's alright, because uh, right, I just realized something that is, well, not necessarily cursed, but kind of like, oh, wow, I'm sort of surprised to piece that together. Because I was thinking about these, because I was thinking about these characters in terms of, like, who's in the references, and I was like, you know, it's kind of weird that this show doesn't have anatomy. Like, if you're looking at these anatomy. And then I sat there for a second, I'm like, oh, wait, that's basically what Hulot is. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he obsesses over his brother. That's that's basically not a reason to character. Yep. <laughs> all he needs to like all he needs is a pet mouse or something, and, and he's out of me. A pet mouse <laughs> and an awkward bathtub. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I mean, I appreciate the details. I can do it over Joe's time. I laugh. Just, just let him. Just, yeah, just let o- <laughs> let men Joe's time laugh. Uh, but uh, but I really did. Uh, I did like Nadine's performance here. I thought I said I thought he did a pretty good job playing this very dribbled boy who's you know trying to do his best to uh, as, I, as I, I guess kind of follow, I guess kind of live up to. Uh, I say I say live up to the legacy of his big brother. Kind of feels like it's exaggerated because uh, as we firmly said, was cool fins the entire the entire the first half of the show kind of failing constantly. So, uh, so I guess it's less looking up to Guella more, just, I guess, trying to keep him from falling further. Which it doesn't necessarily take when he does try. Uh, and then I did appreciate the performance during, like, the back half of the show, where it's like, where he's just clearly, clearly trying to keep everything together while both his business and his family's kind of falling apart, and you can very clearly tell the characters extremely stressed out a lot of the time, and that comes across very well in his performance. And then when he finally stops towards the last couple of episodes, I thought the delivery there was really good. And, uh, yeah, but on the whole, that was a pretty fun performance. 
Jamal? Yeah, I thought Nazi did very well as Larder. Larder for as much green time as he could get. I, I, he was very kind of stood. He was, he was very assuming until the last few episodes. You, but he def, you can definitely see like the portrayal of his hatred like towards Selena and stuff, because it drove it drove his brother out of his life for a moment. It's like it's mm-hmm. take it's gonna take him a while for like him to get over it, but like. When he and Gould don't get out, it's like he realizes that you know that everything is his to bear. Like you know, Gould did, Gould uh, did some uh, wrong, some stuff wrong in his life that even he should have told for. And Lada just wants to be by his side. And also, I find it funny there's a character named Lada and Brittany somewhere else in the show. So, <laughs> yep, she's one of uh, I think she's one of uh, Shadik's. Yeah, um... she is. She's one of Shadik's angels. Yeah, one of Shadik's, Shadik's angels. Yeah, that was a pretty bad, good performance. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I just wish he had maybe a little more screen time compared to... I, I say compared to the others, and Cecilia's only had, like, what, about seven minutes? It's, and it's, uh, yeah, I feel like Cecilia and Rose you could kind of talk about together, but I do appreciate that everyone spent, like, the entirety of the series joking that, like, Cecilia really just spent, like, 90% of the series just on that couch not doing anything. Bless her heart. Yeah, and yet, oh no, she does spend at least one other time doing something, and that is making a confession bait ball for poor, 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 uh... Martin. Martin. Yeah, she she kind of fucks over, she kind of makes the, uh, confession bait Haro. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, I do like Cassidy's performance. He, uh, she has a pretty good amount of start to her, and it's so like even if the character really is just kind of not doing too much, but just kind of starting to back out. It's a it's a, it's a fun performance, and I do kind of so I do kind of appreciate the kind of back and forth you get to have with like the Gundam kids towards the end of the show. I thought that was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rosie comparatively is Rosie comparatively is also just kind of there, and I kind of remember Jerry Jewel playing Nehara a little bit more than him. But like, you know what? So, so, yeah, but yeah, he he, yeah, he was fine. I so, uh, so, I thought so, he was fine. I thought he had a pretty good back and forth with some of the other characters too. I think. But so, uh, I think also kind of put the gun our kids a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Cassie is Cecilia, like I said, uh, not not there all that much, but somehow she's a very memorable character. More ways than one. Uh, I'm just gonna try to keep it as PG thirteen as I can. I will say this though, because of course you all know Cassie is another name. She's Sapphire on YouTube, and she just put out a cover recently of uh, the second ending to Witch from Mercury. And oh, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yep, I really gotta check out one of these days because Red Birthmark seems to be proving my favorite song overall. Uh, oh yeah, no, Red Birthmark is by far like the best ED song of the year. Which, by the way, I learned that apparently TK did the composition, and at one point, there was some point in the climax, it sounded like Tokyo Ghoul. I kid you not. <laughs> you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Yeah, my other fun fact about Red Birthmark is that the singer who sings it, Aina the End, is actually in a Japanese version of the Broadway musical about Janis Joplin as Janis Joplin. What? Yep. Wow. Mm. But yeah, as I would say, uh, Cassie's member boy more wasted words. I wish I could say the same about Kristen Peters Roji, but I hope we do get to hear more of her. Jerry Jewel as the Sunrise logo. I mean, they gotta name drop Sunrise somewhere in this show. <laughs> it, yeah, I, was, I mean, hey, you can't have a gun with that one. We one horror when they're somewhere. What's even. F- Let's just talk. What's even funnier is they name dropped uh, your Sobi, you know, from the first opening, and it's it's one it's a, somehow named by one of the Gundams at the uh, that party. I, oh. oh, really? Yeah, oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised they I'm surprised they they stuck uh, the Yosobi reference in there. Um, just. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're talking about Jerry Jewel as the Haros, and then he's the he's he's all of the Haros. Mm-hmm. Including 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 the Haros with guns that are trying to kill them. Yep. And the last thing and the thing that I can just I can just say here is Jerry Jewel's customer service horror voice going, do not resist. <laughs> 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 oh god! <sighs> ah, incredible. Hey, who's next on the dueling roulette? Uh, uh. By the way, we should just go over the three, the three you learn to get it over with. Hear no, <laughs> hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Uh, trying to think of. Uh, well, I feel like he, I feel like they probably go through go with Elon Prime first because he kind of. I didn't talk thing. about the other two yet. So. Uh, I'm, I'm oh, sorry. oh, sorry. Oh no, it's okay. Oh, it's okay. It's all good. No, uh, I liked the Zeus Lauda. I'm glad that he got to to do this and to show his chops, especially at the end in all of the anger, misguided anger and vitriol at Gruel for killing their dad. I thought Lauda just kind of very much sat in the background for a majority of the show until the end. Uh, Cassie and Kristen, I well, I, I liked Cassie's performance. I thought Kristen was a little more shaky. Um, I I don't think it. I don't. I think Roji's a guy. Yeah, I think uh, so. And it sounded a little bit too feminine for me, but um, I would say kind of out of the dueling committee, they are kind of the the weakest link uh but now we can talk about the collective of my uh my um specially designed twink mm-hmm. yeah but i feel like you could probably do live prime first because he kind of has the week to do out of the three it, it, mostly just there in the background talking with like uh the pale pretties mostly <laughs> I do like when he quits. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that, yeah, that was pretty funny. It is, like, it is, I mean, like, it is kind of funny thinking that he... It feels weird saying he gets away with everything scot-free, because if you really think about it, it's not like he really did much of anything one way or the other. But it's kind of funny that this sort of noped out towards the end. He's just like, bye! Oh, no! And then he ends up as uh, Gruel's uh, co-runner of the school. <laughs> and Gruel's like, why are you even here? <laughs> Why do I suffer? 
Yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, but yeah, this dude is pretty well gonna do think Gary did a pretty good job of getting that across. Just this guy just clearly clearly can't be bothered to do anything himself until he has to. Yeah. <laughs> it's like why get my hands dirty when other people can do it for me? Why dig when I can handle the sho why handle the shovel when I can sit in the office? It's just like it's such a fucking piece of shit too, and Aaron does a good job of that. Mm -hmm. mm. Uh. 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 And then inversely, you have the quiet one who is just yeah, but... my baby, my baby boy. Ah, uh, yeah, you feel, uh, feel so bad for him. Here's the reason why I bought my first Gundam model kit, which I still have not put together. Uh, yeah, I have a Barbatos model kit sitting around somewhere. I got like halfway through finishing it and I think I want a piece and I, it's just sitting there. Yeah, I have a Feract, an Aerial, and a Double X. Ah, nice. Uh, just... I want you to know that every a lot of my friends on another server like to make fun of me because of my love of Elon 4, Ellen 4. Like... To the point where if I talk about him and I get upset, they all like to tease me by going happy birthday. <laughs> Which, I'm not gonna lie, as soon as you said that, I knew exactly what episode you were on. Not again! Uh, that's it, that's it man. You know, if I had, you know... You know, if I had a nickel for every time someone died to the song, happy birthday, I'd have two nickels, which isn't much, but it's weird it happened twice in this show. That ain't the first, <laughs> yeah. That's the first nickel joke, but it's gonna be more tonight. <laughs> a Gundam? Perry the Gundam! Oh. I'm sorry. I, understood. I, I, I had understood. to. I understood that. Me, I saw somebody do that with a guitar. <laughs> a mobile suit? Ariel the mobile suit! Sorry. Um. You good. Yeah. Fuck it, fuck you, show. Every time I get upset. Um, uh, yeah, uh, let me see. I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure I have notes for him somewhere. Uh, yeah, let's see. I really did. I really did like how Aaron handled uh, Emo and Lance's whole dynamic with what up. I also like uh, how that's uh, resentment he's kind of hiding under how a Luffy acts uh, towards the beginning of the show and. Basically, a lot of the time in general. And, and, and I thought he did a pretty good job of handling that really well. And then I especially like towards the end of his duel with Selena, where he kind of admits of how jealous he is of her, that she seems to have everything he doesn't. And, that's, and that kind of makes him to snap, causes him to snap. And I thought Aaron's delivery there was extremely good. And uh, yeah, it really made me feel for the poor guy, which again made it sad when, uh, you know, the happy birthday music kicked in. Yeah, what looked like a giant incinerator about the fire. All while Selena's waiting for him to show up on time. I was like, yeah, he ain't coming in. Yeah, to which it is kind of funny. This is the second Sunrise show I've seen where where there was a character waiting on a bed for someone who for somebody who already died. Where's the first? Oh, uh, no. Uh, uh, that would be season one of Tiger and Bunny. Oh, oh. oh, shit, shit. Jamal, what were you thinking of? Code Geass. 
But wait, oh wait, wait, did that happen to Code Chaos? No, but I did make that Euphemia reference with no Noria. Because my yeah, that's fair. Uh, man, Lelouch wouldn't last a day in this show. Um. Oh, absolutely not. No, I I really liked Aaron in that you can all tell like they sound like the same person, but I think Aaron does a good job differentiating each of the personalities. Because there is a complete difference between sad boy Aaron and absolute fuck boy Aaron. <laughs> uh, I haven't even talked about that last one, but it's it, it's a it's a so delightfully stormy. You really want to punch that kid in the face. Mm-hmm. Girl almost did. Because he wouldn't stop trying to ask Suleta out on a date. I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, at first, yeah, at first I think, okay, this guy is just being really extremely pushy and it's kind of annoying. Yeah. And then he's like, and then he sees pull off the table. It's like, oh, oh, oh no, no. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely glad he got at least one punch in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, I yeah, but I think the meanest thing is that like. The show actually made me feel bad for him after that. That makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no. it, it's like how dare you? It's like how dare you give him it? It's like how dare you make me feel bad for his circumstances that he's just kind of you know trying to do his best to survive and to do his best to survive in a capitalism. Jet, how dare you make me feel things for him? I also want to talk about the underrated comedic aspect of Slut Elon. Like, they put him into a lot of really weird comedy moments, like, where uh, he's listening in on the Earth House outside the vent. And he's just, like, eating, like, a fucking granola bar, like, well, they're not gonna let me in. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my, yeah, I think my favorite kind of, like, Technically serious, but also the extremely funny thing is just like how much he just absolutely refuses to get in the Gundam. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I ain't going back in there. I learned what happened to the last me. <laughs> well, granted, he does go into Ariel and then tries to uh, go deeper, and then he meets the uh, other collective inside of, Ari uh, inside of Ariel. And then he's like, nope, not ever again. <laughs> nope, bye, guys. Bye, guys. See ya. Nope, not again. Uh, Jamal, your thoughts? Uh, Ellen Four, yeah. Uh, Ellen Four is uh, Ellen did bigger job as Emo Ellen because you know, like he just tried to get the Bible things without come without somehow coming off too suspicious to Selena. But yeah, after meeting the uh, other collective, it's like I would say his personality kind of changed. But then we all know what happened next. And then uh, Ellen Five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, because Ellen 5 seems more like the real Ellen with a, I guess a dash of Ellen 4 just to be safe. And even though I thought both of them were assholes, at least one learned to develop a more caring side later on, especially the with the whole thing between him and Noria, to which at the end of the episode, he's just trying to find this location she drew in her book, and she's like, oh, I wish she'd why did you just put that coordinates or something? I'm like, dude, it's not a real place she drew. It's just some place to get her away from her thoughts, man. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, dude. I'm really kind of impressed that they that really all they did was lock those characters in a room for like maybe two or three episodes, 
And that somehow was enough to make me feel bad. I was like, no, they should have been able to run away together. It's so sad. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of confused on what actually happened there, because did they get captured or... No, she's dead. As, as, oh, as, no, I think he's. I think he's talking about why they're all in a room together. As, as, uh, oh, uh, uh, basically, basically, Doria was hiding out there because uh, you know terrorism, and as, uh, and Sonny Lund had to hide out there because uh, he screwed up trying to steal the aerial, and uh, as I said, he and, was and, hiding. Yeah, all the pale crows wanted him dead, so uh, yeah, he had to hide out for a bit. But why was Nika in there? Oh, because she was basically being held captive. No, she's being held captive by uh, Shadik's gang. Yeah, and she was also, you know, wanted for a terrorism sale. Oh, yeah, I know that. We'll get to that later. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, Ellen Prime was basically just a dick. Just hang back to watch events unfold. And then when things not blowing up, he just said, fuck this shit, I'm out. And that was that. Mm-hmm. I ain't got much more to say about uh, Aaron, Aaron, or Aaron, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I have one more thing to say about Ellen. How dare Ellen Prime get Ellen 5 get hotter after the time skip? Ah, <laughs> uh, that is extremely mean. Well, you know, that's what happens when you kind of put a smile on your face a little. Because remember, Ellen Ebo was kind of flat, just deadpan. His face, I mean. He was dead inside. And yeah. He was dead inside and then became dead outside. Yep. Yep. Alright, so do we want to talk about Shadig or Gruel next? Yes. Uh, I, feel, uh, I feel like Gruel is technically more important, so we should probably do Shadig first. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, to which, uh, uh, to which, uh, going into Aaron, I mean, going into Alejandro as unique, uh, when I was talking before with the direction about, uh, character voices and, uh, and how I felt like it was maybe an attempt to make characters sound distinct and how I felt that would, could be a little bit of a mixed bag in some places, uh, this was one of them. Uh, in that, this took a couple of episodes I felt to kind of, I get into its groove, I think. And so, uh, like, and so, uh, so, like, this is definitely a much deeper voice than I'm used to in Alejandro, and it's, it's what's kind of, and it's, a, and it's kind of weird, both because I know he can do teen voices in general, so, and this is a lot deeper than the usual teen voice he does, and also the character in Japanese does not sound like this, it's higher pits in Japanese, so... I'm not sure what the decision was to make this character sound deeper in English. It's, 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 I mean, I wouldn't call it a bad choice. It's just kind of a little bit of an odd one. But, uh, so, uh, but, uh, but that is that. And I do think it... Well, I wouldn't necessarily say it hurt the performance. I do think it kind of took Alejandro a little bit to kind of uh, find his groove with the voice and get it to, I guess, kind of match what he wanted to go for with the performance. But, uh, but after like an episode or two, I thought he nailed it. And I... And I like the performance. It's it's the right amount of smugness and cock and you know being incredibly calculating. A guy who is just kind of very clearly trying to get an edge on everyone else and always say what's up ahead of everyone. And Alejandro gets that across really well. And especially when it comes to characters like you know Goel or dealing with your old dad. So and Alejandro just has a just gives Sudik and Eric confidence in nearly everything he does. 
And I, and I also thought his dynamic with Miyorine was really interesting, and as you mentioned before, it's very clear that he was in love with Miyorine, but he wasn't, you know, willing to actually fight for her because he uh, because he's not a very trusting person, and I guess... And, that's a, and that's a, I guess it's a combination of he didn't really trust himself to be able to, I know, do the right thing there, and I guess he wasn't really daily to take the risk, and... Uh, yeah, uh, very clear that's him, so that he's still incredibly salty about that, and Alejandro gets that across really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's a really well-rounded performance, especially to, especially, when, especially during his final show, I don't know well, where you see the character finally snap, and, and, and Alejandro does a really good job of getting all that anger across. It's, it's a really well-rounded performance, and, uh, yeah, on a whole, it's very solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for me, I think the thing about Shadiq that I had a kind of, I guess, apprehension about was that it's like you said, it's a lot of a, a more deeper take on the character. And first of all, I want to say, like, I think this is a great performance, but for a lot of the show, I just didn't know if it was the right performance for the show itself. Um, I definitely want to get to see Alejandro play a character that an adult male character, which I bet he's probably played a ton of, and I'm just not thinking yeah, about them uh, at this moment. Yeah, uh, yeah, if you ever play Octopath Traveler 2, he is one of the protagonists in that, I believe. Uh, I have to beat Octopath 1! Uh, uh, good luck with that. I, I, tried being, I tried being Octopath 1. I, I could not get past the final boss, and it's, like, actively ridiculous. Um, so, I, so, like, obviously I need to get more experience with that, and this is my also cue of saying, hey, actor, director, it's like, try him out as these characters more. Um, but I think the, I think the reason that they probably went for this is that a lot of, I think a lot of the show's themes is, like, the difference between children and adults in the sense of, Adults acting childish and children acting like adults, and Shadiq very much feels like the the most mature of the the school age kids, and that's because he he has to be. He's being like he he groomed him. He's been groomed, and he's also groomed himself and closed off his heart emotionally. And I think the moments that really shine for this is a lot of Alejandro's work regarding how Shadiq does feel for Minaray. How he is in love with her and like me like you mentioned in Minare says that Shadiq could never actually love her because he wouldn't trust her. But I think Shadiq also falls into the general thing of the men pursuing Minare. Is that all of them see me everybody who kind of interacts with Minare besides Suleta sees Minare as a tool or an object for their gain and not Minare as a person. And I think what really sells that is how how he how aggressive he gets towards Gruel in the back half of season two, um, where he talks about how Gruel's defiled her, how he's going to dirty and ruin Minare when in truth it's it's Shadiq doesn't want to see her as if she is a person who can make her own mistakes and is a person who can learn and grow from her own experiences and her own mistakes because he feels like he can guide and manipulate her into his own place because he sees himself as this chess master. 
when in truth, the person who ultimately defiled her and ruined her plans at uh, the meeting where, um, at the meeting where, you know, Prospera's got control of Ariel and causes the fight so that the whole Earth meeting blows up is because he he fucked around with Dawnfold. And Dawnfold caused the stuff at the, um, not quite zero, but, uh... The Rumble Ring? No, not the Rumble. Besides the Rumble Ring, there's another part. Oh, Plant Coetta. Yeah, Plant Coetta. Yeah, he, he kind of fucks up Plant Coetta. Um... He kind of causes all these stuff in the background, therefore he's... He thinks he's protecting Minaray, and he has that very much attitude towards it, and that he's the only one can do it. But in truth, he is secretly just, like stabbing the daggers into her back, and he doesn't want to take responsibility of it. Until, of course, the very end, where he finally gets defeated and gives up. And he's the only one who goes to... Besides Nika, who really kind of faces the consequences for what he's done. And I think that Alejandro gets a lot of that across in the character, and I think that's where he shines. I don't know if I if I agree with how deep he goes, but I'm also not going to say like a, a teenager can't sound that deep because obviously there are teenagers who do. Yeah, and I think to add to that point, I think that was one of the reasons his voice went that deep because given his the character's build, the way he dresses, the way he comes off, it's like he exudes a bit an air of confidence. And also led me to say, Yeah, you're up to something, aren't you? It's it's kinda like what were you on the episode for Erased? Yep. I was not. You were I was, not? Uh, uh, wait, I was on Erased. I I I wasn't you were. Okay. Oh, oh I thought it was asking I thought it was asking me that. Okay, Sorry. I think I remember how you explained how y'all found out who the bad guy was. It was kind of similar, that circumstance with the voice. And I wanted to wait and see what his endgame was, endgame in quotation marks, before I knew he could take it further. And it was that the first point being that uh, he clocked, he cock-blocked me, Reed, from starting up her own company by changing the regulations. Mm-hmm. And then there was, uh, I, I don't know, he blackmailed, or he did something with Nika that... She was the go between between the uh, witches uh, from Earth and the Daughter Fold. Yeah, she was being. He used her good nature. And then, of course, he got kidnapping his father. Mm-hmm. And then he explains in the, I guess, essentially the final duel between him and Guru that, uh, that uh, he says that the school is basically just a. Uh, Grounds for sacrifice, like the sacrifice of the students or something, and he wants to dissolve the Bedouin group because of that. Well, well mm-hmm. one of the reasons. So, yeah, so if he had come off with, like, what would what people would identify as, like, a normal teenage voice, that would kind of throw me off a bit. It's like, okay, how how mm-hmm. do we, how do we, what's, what's the word? How do we project this guy's most motivations without actually giving it away mm-hmm. and like I said you gotta look at the character so it, it would only make sense to give him that kind of deep of a voice not too deep because you know like you said mm-hmm. he he has a, a maturity to him 
Especially when you see him at that at that party, like dressed differently. So he knows. Yeah, shit, he cleans up really well, by the way. He does. <laughs> so he knows what's going on. He knows what he wants. He knows how to get it. The of course the reason is for getting it. I guess we're very different from person to person on this podcast. Because yeah, he, it did seem like he was in love with me, Reed, but he would never be able to accomplish that goal. You know, just. I guess unrequired love, that kind of thing. But again, there's always more to it than that, you know. It's whether his livelihood, somebody else's, you know. I guess do bad things oh, yeah. to save good people. I guess I don't know. That's mm-hmm. just the way I prefer to look at it in terms of the voice. So, and yeah, you're right. There are some teenagers with that kind of deep of a voice. I've had a few of them in high school. So. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying, Jeff? Yeah, so, uh, 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 I feel like once I kind of got an idea of where it was good, uh, what all had was going for, I wore it up to the performance, but it didn't take me an episode or two. Mm-hmm. I personally took the longest to warm up to it, so. I was the quickest then, so. Because <laughs> I, I was actually familiar with that kind of voice I had to stop uses, but I'd rather not say what show, though. <laughs> uh, Alright, so let's talk about Bob the Builder. Oh, Gruel. I think that this is probably some of my favorite work that Bradley Gareth has done. I think he was exceptional from the get-go as as Gruel. He had all of the level of arrogance and pomp that had to get broken down to to his core. Because, like, Gruel, not only does Gruel fail, Gruel is also taken away from all of the privilege that he knows. He can't fight in his own mobile suit. Um, his father tries to put an AI in to help him because he doesn't believe in him anymore. Well, that he just wants um, to win the fight. Yeah. He, he just gets taken down to lower... Like, he lives as a homeless person on campus for a while... To, like, the point where other students are dumping water on his head. And then he gets to... He gets forced to work as a construction worker. And he gets kidnapped by the Dawnfold. And it kind of really culminates in... The, the lowest of the low point for him being in... Uh, the episode where he sees a child get killed in his arms. Yep. And Bradley just carries a lot of this performance with such grace... And when you see him chained up to a toilet and babbling. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, this is really good stuff. And I think that it's just very, very, very great work. Very. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I also like performance a lot. I think he did a really good job of coming off as like a bit of an arrogant meathead in the first couple of episodes, and you know, just very deeply insecure. I mean, very deeply insecure of what Daddy thinks of him. And I thought 
Bradley did a really good job of getting that across really well. As a, and also, as a, and also speaking of the early parts of the performance, I really liked his delivery during his soul bears were pulled to do Soleta and like how much sincerity you could feel in his voice as well was having like a bit of an internal epiphany, which this made it all the which made it all the funny when he just got rejected in like the loonyest way possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but his whole character uh, but his whole off from start to finish was incredible because it's basically what happens when you take the shelter out the shelter kid and he had to understand reality very, very hard, like very hardly. Like. So I was, I was impressed when Quell came into his own, especially having what three duels against Celeste already. Yep. One of what? Yeah, he loses like. Yeah, he loses three duels overall. Yeah, to, uh, to, uh, yeah, to, yeah, to, uh, yeah, to which, uh, yeah, to which there is one thing about the character I must criticize, and it's something I. So I'll come up on uh, A-N's podcast numerous times. Okay. Man, that haircut was a downgrade. I actually thought his haircut made him look hotter. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The butt little is a lot better to me. I'm, try, I'm still trying to get used to the two-tone bangs, but you know, I've seen crazy hair. Can't believe Jet just shamed me for my 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 disappreciation of the mullet. Uh, the Jet Turk family mullet. <laughs> oh, maybe. What? <laughs> I just had such the stupidest thought. Ah, uh, boy, what is it? Maybe Quell gave himself a mullet so he'd look more like his family his family company's logo of a lion. Uh, Is Quell Jetterk a furry? Uh, I mean, I mean, we know he's into the new piece, so who knows? <laughs> Fuck. Uh. Jamal, please keep going before I die. Yeah, it's weird. The first thought I had was that Google Jet, that Paul Google's name was a play on Jet Fuel. So, uh, that's just me. I think. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, Bradley's performance was uh, really well rounded. Really, as I uh, like I said, that whole thing was pretty funny. And that it could be serious. A lot of the time, when he. Uh, Needed right when it need to rise, especially in the back half of the show, and as mentioned before in the aforementioned episode, where like where he's at the Earth camp and he's kind of so traumatized from his dad dying and trying to process all that while you know seeing a child die in front of his eyes and watching and so like and watching all these Earthians get uh, terrorized by the uh, getting terrorized by the company he used to be a part of, which is uh, you know definitely not helping his trauma a whole lot there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was simply interesting seeing how the character transformed after that. And uh, yeah, I thought I thought Girl had the most interesting character evolution throughout the entire show, and uh, and I ended up liking the character more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess to wrap this section up, I haven't listened to a lot of Bradley Gareth roles. I think the only context I have for this one is a uh, Gunbuster, which I have yet to finish. 
It's a buy all the Blu-ray for it, so... Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, you shave for this. I think the Master Dub is good. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's, it, it really is weird. It really was weird watching Gunbuster with dollars of, like, Evangelion and, like, Girdle Dog. It's like, oh, wow, I can really just see you separate for all those things now. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go on to the Gundarm, a.k.a. the Earth House. These are essentially Suleta and Minori's greatest allies, a bunch of kids from Earth who deal with a lot of racism, classism, and everything thrown in their way. Uh, and they come together to form the new Gundarm Corporation, showing that the Gundams aren't dangerous. But a lot of times they end up getting almost accidentally murdered or put into terrible situations and have to save the world together. And some of them aren't always the uh, best and uh, brightest in the group, but they're doing their fucking best. Uh, they start off with uh, Chitare Ponluch, a.k.a. Chichu. Uh, she is in charge, will punch a bitch. And is by far the most vocal and outspoken about the harassment and race and uh, racism they face. Uh, she calls a lot of people spacey and turds, but when push comes to shove, she's willing to put down her own pride and save people and do whatever's right. Nika Na uh, Nanora is a genius mechanical and support student. However, she is also a go-between for the Dawnfold in Shadik, which is basically playing on her own good nature for wanting to see Earth and Spaceians come together to build a brighter future. Uh, she spends a lot of the second half of the show questioning what she's done. And like Shadik, she's kind of the only person who actually, you know, faces consequences for her actions. Uh, then there is Martin Upmon. He is the head of the Earth House. He is kind of, uh, as much as he tries to be in charge, he's kind of a walking doormat. Yeah. Um, he's doing his best, but he also harbors a lot of guilt, uh, towards, uh, actions to the end of season one in into season two, in that he reports that, uh, Nika had contact with the Dawnfold, and that's why she runs away and disappears. Uh, Nino Cargan is kind of uh, one of the mechanic guys in Earth House. Olejo Gabel is another one of the mechanics. He's also the guy who is almost always with Nunao putting bets on everything. Uh, he is always betting on the duels. Uh, Lalik Kodaka Lipati is kind of uh, the VP slash secretary of the gun formation. She's a big girl who apparently just pulls them. Uh, so, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that is a bit. I love that it's a bit of a background for a character. Like, oh, yeah. Like, she gets guys all the time. And you know what? Good for her. She deserves it. Yeah. And, like, to the point where she doesn't even realize that they're doing it. So we stand a queen. Uh, Tell Nice is a uh, the kind of blue-haired guy with the ponytail. He is another quiet member of the gun arm group. And Alaya uh, Manvish is the girl who does all of the fortune-telling and uh, helps mainly take care of all of the animals they have at Earth House. And quote-unquote, at one point, wrote an animal care manual that was more in detail than a mobile suit manual. How'd you do? What a gal. 
Playing uh, Choo Choo is Brittany Karbowski. Playing Nika is Bryn April. Playing Martin is Matt and Sh- is Matt and- <laughs> Matt and Shipman. <laughs> Matt Shipman. Uh, playing Nanao is Eric Vale. Playing Oello is Corey Wilder. Playing the Leak is Sarah Ragsdale. Playing Till is Monty Thompson. And playing Aliyah is E.A. Castillo. Uh, Brittany Karbowski, you'll know as a lot of things, but I think most importantly to this role, she is the many, many Mikoto Mikasas in the Railgun franchise. Yep. <laughs> uh, Brent April is uh, you know as characters such as Hiori Iki in Noragami. Matt Shipman, you'll know as Mihai in Komodo Jihen. Eric Vale, you'll know as Yuki Soma in Fruits Basket. Corey Wilder is Chitaro uh, Fuwake in Ayaka. Sarah Ragsdale is Yuki Minagawa in Zuridure Children. Monty Thompson as Floria Blaze in The Fruit of Evolution. And E.A. Castillo as Minato Fujiwara in Katana Maiden's Toji no Miko. Oh boy, that's a lot. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah I feel like you can probably get through some of these pretty quick. Cause, uh, I, yeah. I, I mean, some of these kids have more to do than others for a better Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> that's how, uh, so, uh, so going, uh, so going down with, I thought, that's how, uh, so I thought Monty and EA did, uh, t- uh, did fine for their characters, like, but, like, uh, like, they didn't get too much to do compared to everyone else, but I thought they, that's it, so, uh, so, uh, so, I thought they, uh, added to the background pretty well. So, uh, so I did so like I like I didn't like the whole like Ouija board thing with one. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say it's about Aya because Aya sounded great for what what for what little had the character had to do. We should definitely sound the character, especially with the animals. And I look at the cast and I'm like, hey, Castillo, why does that name sound familiar?" <sighs> I looked it up. Maggie, how much do you remember Komodo friends? Uh, a lot. That's the North American beaver. <laughs> Bless them. Yeah, so... Whenever I can see the emotion on Ali's face, I think of that one blooper is like, It's okay, Dirt, I'm lonely too. Oh, I'm lonely too. Except instead, the Dirt is sick of the goat. Which, man, if you ever need a reason to give... Space by Hardy to get to watch this show. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Okay, Monty. I'm not too familiar with him. I only know he had like a role in Zombie Land Saga Revenge, and that was the first role he did. I haven't heard much of. I didn't even see that show to be honest, but I know from what I heard here, he did pretty good, pretty okay for what the role called. I can't help but how many times his ponytail looked like a. The leaves on a pineapple, but that's just me. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, his hair didn't look like pineapple. Yeah, and somehow that's not the craziest here in this group. Ah, uh, boy, we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I got to say on those two. So, what about you, Megan? Uh, we're talking about um, Till and Alia. Till. Yeah, Till I don't have a ton on. I think Monty does a good job making Till just sound very even keel and 
Like, he is a member of the house. Unfortunately, Teal doesn't do as much. I liked uh, EA as Elia a lot. I think she very much has that call me more murdering tone to her voice. Um, she definitely sounds like the most adult member of the house outside of maybe Nika. Uh, because let's face it, outside of uh, Tills and Alia, the rest of the house is kind of childish. Um, like, a lot of them are very- she's- Alia is very much the one that kind of, I think, notices the most about people's huge. She does do the fortune telling and all that stuff, and I, I genuinely enjoyed their performance. Uh, jo Jet, did you go with these two? Yep. Uh, I'll move on to, I guess, uh, Lalique, Oyelo, and uh, Nunao. Um, I would like to, once again, appreciate, as somebody who is a bigger-bodied girl, that Sarah Bragsdale did not give Lalique the fat person voice. Uh, yeah, that is yeah. Everybody's probably like, what do you mean? I mean, it's like making them sound like... You know what the comedic fat person voice sounds like. Like, trust me, you've seen it. It's gr it's gross. I think Sarah Ragsdale has Lalique's uh, very bright and cheery demeanor. And, like, Lalique is also kind of the emotional figurehead of the things. Like, when Lalique is upset, they're all like, oh shit, something's actually fucking wrong. Yep. <laughs> like, they're all like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, yeah, but I do appreciate that uh, she kind of comes off as being sort of the mom of the group and Sarah gets on the cars really well. Yeah, and I, I also genuinely, again, appreciate that this is just you, which is a, a whole show, that they never use Lalique's weight as a point to make her, like, be made fun of or seem down on. She is quite literally still capable of being a pilot and an engineer and stuff. And I, I genuinely like how she's okay going with the, the, the team match against Shadik. Because... Yeah. Because some girls like she's like okay if you think I'm a, if you're upset at me for some reason okay sure why not yeah yeah to which uh, it is something I've seen brought up by other people but uh, I don't know I do appreciate that there are like several bigger characters in this show who are just kind of like you know it, it's never really pointed to and I think that's really appreciated yeah. yes. <laughs> I, I also be like how she's the only one besides Sula who's completely okay with doing this match. The guys are like, oh god, we're gonna fucking die! And she's like, yay! Uh, Eric and Corey have great chemistry with each other as those two guys. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, those are a lot of fun together. <laughs> yeah. Just, just, them bet is sports betting on, on teenage Gundam fighting. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yep, uh, Casabetic and more related, it's always losers. Yep. Wait, which one is betting again? Ojero, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So it's a new appreciate that he's the one who's, like, the most reluctant to get in a Gundam, and it's, like, the first one who did that. That was pretty funny. Yeah, Koi Wada, they're very good as Ojero, you always see this type of character often in anime, especially one who's uh, prone to losing bets. I bet he gets your old teammate, mm -hmm. too. <laughs> it's just like, come on, dude. You know the you know the odds are on this. Why would you go against him? Instead of Axe, though, I can always pick her out in anime because she has this sing-soggy type of quality to her voice. Like, it's not like she's doing it on purpose. It's just, it just comes naturally when she's acting, like... Kind of musically, if you think about it. Uh, Ericville, I don't hear Ericville often this type of anime anymore, but I did appreciate him playing uh, a 
I guess a, a student. A student is not actually preferred for once, because last time I heard him as a student, I'd, I'm not gonna, I'd rather not talk about that show, but, you know, at least he can, he can dial down the normalcy on the roles he plays, because I actually, actually I saw him at a convention this summer, and he was pretty chill. Of course, it cost me a hundred bucks to get his autograph and picture, but we won't talk about that. I I I do like I do like how he's just chill for the most part of the show. But all three of them did a very good job. Uh, awesome. And then, I guess let's talk about Martin and Nika. I think Choo Choo kind of gets her own her own uh, yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> I I genuinely love. Bren and Matt as Martin and Nika. I like that Bren got to do kind of an older girl sounding voice for Nika and a lot more mellow. And I think that she captures Nika's conflict in that she is being made to do horrible things and hurt the people she cares about because she's being told this is how freedom works. And Martin is kind of, like I said... Martin is kind of the doormat character to most of Earth House. Yeah. They they really don't always listen to him, and he kind of gets a lot of these moments where he is very much the cowardly lion. Yeah. And Matt puts a lot into his, like, <laughs> noises. I think two of my favorite moments of his was one when uh, Lalique was talking about uh, uh, where he'd be okay inside the Gundam and stuff, and he's like, yeah, I'll be fine. And she's like, take these motion sickness pills. Uh, the others, uh, I guess, who was it? I think it was when they were meeting up with Ellen in the, in Quiet Zero. And then, and Ellen was like, Salada, me or me, you okay? And he's like, wait, do you not even notice I'm here? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, poor Martin. And, uh, British Nika, it's, it, it's, it's funny, because... Yeah, you don't always hear Brad use a grown-up voice or a natural voice really often. So when I see her play this type of character, it was very neat. And I think, had been any other director, I think Brendan, probably Brendan Brittany would have been swapped. But I, I do appreciate Jason's choice here because she she can display conflict much more easily, much more dramatically too. It's like... She knows what's holding her back, and she wants to achieve ideals, but she doesn't really know how to go about it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, especially she does to keep her head down, and she manages to get some trouble very easily. And what was even more interesting was at the end of the series, when uh, after she goes to jail, she reunites with Earth House, and uh, like Ghoul, she gets a haircut too. Not only a haircut, she's also dressed in like a one of those sweater overlays, like you see some rich people wearing. She looked like a different character, but she was still the same Nika. Mm. Yeah. Jet? Hmm? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I probably like these two performances a lot. I thought... I thought, Matt, so I thought Matt did a good job at Martin, kind of, you know, be... Is that, you know, trying to do, you know, trying to play the part of the leader and keep everyone together while also, is that, uh, while also kind of being a bit of a, also kind of being a bit of a doormat and across really well. 
And then, like, his whole arc is a sellout. I thought Matt's delivery there was also pretty good, where you could tell uh, he was in pretty deep conflict about that and kept trying to convince himself he was he did the right thing, but wasn't really sure of his actions, which just kind of made it all the funnier when Cecilia kind of decided to, you know, take that and mess with him for a bit. That whole thing was pretty funny. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad he I'm glad he and Igor were able to work things out in the end. And, uh, yeah, uh, Matt's performance there was really good. And then, uh, Brit and then Brita's Nika, I thought, was also really good. Uh, she did a really good job of uh, playing, like, you know, the very nice girl in the beginning, where, you know, she's one of the first one of the first people in the school who's kind of, who's initially friendly to Suena compared to everyone else who was kind of uh, hostile to her starting out. I thought Brynn was really great there. And then I thought, like, uh, Nika's whole conflict throughout the show was really interesting, where she's kind of caught uh, in the middle of everything between uh, Earth and, so, so Earth and, you know, everything with the school, where where she does kind of feel for the Earthians and everything and everything they're going through, but she's but also she's kind of you know spent a lot of time with kind of a lot of time at the school and with all the Gundam kids. So she's so she's kind of attached to that and especially attached to the idea of being able to have like a normal school life. So when all the Earthian stuff kind of comes back around, she's yeah she's sort of she's sort of caught in the middle and you know tries to. And I guess trying to sort of play both sides in a sense, which doesn't really uh, work out for work out well for her when uh, you know when he's on a full kind of come knocking and you know blow up a lot of things. And, so, and I especially thought, and I especially liked uh, the whole uh, kind of uh, back and forth he had with I think it was Noria towards like the back uh, towards the back half of the show after everything's gone wrong and. And you can try to convince herself she did the right thing by eventually, you know, selling the Dunafold guys out to the school. Yeah. And yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, like she tries to convince herself she did the uh, she did the right thing there because you know obviously terrorism is wrong and you can't have that. But at the same time, because she did that, like uh, like all those earth faces are getting raided, a bunch of innocent people there are getting attacked, and like like and that's also on her to some degree. And you can kind of tell that Nika's really. Turn about that, and it's kind of interesting because uh, in that moment, neither her or Sophie are like completely right or wrong there, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and uh, uh, let's t let's talk about her. Uh, yeah, I guess it's time to talk about. Yeah, I guess it's time to go on to the start of the section. Uh, get a whole geometry pen punch. Where do we begin? Uh. That that girl has got the great had the one of the greatest single mama said knock you out moments in anime. I, yeah, I keep me could me mean to make a meme out of that, but I keep forgetting to do that. Um, Josh made a few good ones. Yeah, I feel yeah. like my time is up. So, uh, yeah, you know, I I think I'd want to go first here because I don't want this to yeah. I guess I know what it is on a sour note. Because uh, because again, going back around to what I said about the direction and like, and how I felt like some I felt like some of the actors were kind of directed to do character voices. Uh, Britney's was the one where I felt that was the most kind of enforced, and uh, if I'm being honest, of the like major character is probably my least favorite performance in the show. Is that uh, uh, like I mentioned before? It kind of felt more like she was sort of directed to do. 
have more of a character voice and doing something natural, even though uh, kind of similar to Alejandro, she's done teenager voices before, and teen voices that are a little more backgrounded in what this is, and I'm kind of... And I thought it was kind of weird she wasn't directed to do more something more along those lines. And it was kind of a bit off-putting to me in that respect. Uh, so, I'm, so, I mean, so, I mean, having said all that, her acting here is so totally solid. Like, as Brittany Karbaski, I've never heard her turn any bad performance in anything. And she's, and, so, and, like, and she's so delivered here where she needs to, whenever the character needs to be serious, she's serious. Whenever she needs to be funny, she's funny. But I, so, uh, but I do wish that the way she was directed was maybe like a little different and it was a little bit more of a kind of grounded character voice. And also, but, uh, but uh, all that aside, I did really enjoy her delivery during Two Two's more most important scene, which is of course uh, the punch. Like mm-hmm. Britney's delivery there is beautiful, and so and, and I definitely can't bring myself to complain about that. So uh, yeah, that was fun. Uh, Jamal, I can kind of understand where you're coming from because when I first heard uh, her Britney is Two Two, I thought to myself. I don't ever recall Brittany making that type of voice before. <laughs> and then I realized, of course, it's supposed to be mousy by design because Choo Choo's a mousy person. <laughs> Brittany Karbaski, if you ever met her in real life, she's a mousy person. She's also a, pre- a bit of a prankster, I've learned. So, <laughs> I-, I think the one thing that really took me the longest to adjust is Choo Choo's attitude because. Well, for one thing, she's about as vulgar as I was in high school, so, uh... But the fact that, like, she has this bit of a prejudice, because, you know, people look at her differently, because it's the whole thing between spaceships and Earthians. It's not about the race, it's about the nationality. I thought that... It, it took a minute for me to address, but I think Brittany did good in this role, and, uh... Given that uh, she is a unique character design, I know people are gonna be at asking her applying logic. I will say this: the fluffy to hear, sometimes it can be easy to compress or harder harder to compress depending on the project you use. Because my mom used to be a cosm- <laughs> uh, certified cosmetologist, and I've seen how she does her hair. I've seen people with uh, well, she doesn't have weave. I've seen people with weaves. I've seen people braid their hair. I've seen them wear dreads. It it, it, it kind of depends on how the hair is really plaited out. So don't think too much of it, you know, unless you understand hair in general. Okay, look. Okay, look. I'm not. Like, I'm not questioning how like she keeps the hair style maintained. That's fine. It, it's, it's more like it's how, how does she, she fit? Like how does she put all that in the helmet? Is where like okay, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was trying to explain. Yeah, I've even, I've even seen I've even seen some people with like hair caps that could put can, can compress that, or maybe a little less hair, but still much hair. I would admit I did kind of think of this for a little while because she kind of reminds me of Jasmine from the Boondocks. And hey, there's another Boondocks <laughs> reference for tonight. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's the same hairstyle. Yeah. I mean, Brittany's a ton of fun. Yeah, your mileage may vary, but I think she held it together very well. Mm-hmm. Not my first choice, but hey, it works. So, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah, like, I'm not knocking the casting choice. I think, like, I think pretty Brittany here was a good call. It's just more, I wish she was there a bit differently. Yeah. 
I, I, I also kind of, uh, needed to adjust to Brittany a little bit. I think by the end of the show, she did a good job. Um, I, I think the thing that really, really gets me about Choo Choo is that I do think at some point she is a little bit of a one-note character with the whole Spacey and Turd running gag. And I get that, that she is angry and bitter towards, uh, things, and... This is something where I'm going to talk about, like, kind of, like, my one big complaint to the show is that, um, I do wish that the show was, like, another two cores longer. Um, because I think there's a lot of things in it that just get kind of rushed because they only had 24 episodes and I feel like developing the Earth house a little bit more and, like, some other things that would have helped. Uh, but I do think by the end of it, like, a lot of the rest of the cast that uh, Choo Choo does get there as a performance. And I, I agree with both points that you guys have made. I think for me, her really, like, shining moment is when uh, she goes to ask the girl that Alexis Tipton plays to help her in a fight. Yeah. And they both agree to it. And they both are able to fight together, showing that Choo Choo can grow and put her pie aside when it counts. Uh, so yeah, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Alright, ready to move on to the next set of characters? Yep. Oh boy. <laughs> Alright! It's time, because this episode is probably releasing in and around Thanksgiving slash my birthday, um, let's talk about some the the members of the world's worst, the world's most awkward Thanksgiving table. We have Prospera Mercury, a.k.a. Um, Elnora Samaya. Uh, yeah, Elnora Samaya. She was the only survivor with her daughter Eric of the raid. She became Prospera Mercury and began to rebuild Ariel and the quiet a project called Quiet Zero, a world where her beloved Eric could always live. Eric, her daughter, uh, you know, Space Umfi, what's she gonna do? Oh god, she's murdering people. Uh, didn't survive the trip in space, but only her mind could, so Prosperity did the only thing uh, a normal mother would do. Uh, upload her mind into a mobile suit and start cloning her. You know, normal shit. Mm. Um, together, uh, Prospero wants to create this a world where Aerie can live freely again. Uh, meanwhile, in the middle of the table is Belmaria Winston, the only other person who has any ties to the original gun format. Uh, she works with Pell on the Enhanced People, uh, the Enhanced Persons Project, and she kind of just is there, I think, to mirror Prospera in that Belmira uh, kind of cries a lot and oh, oh, regrets what she's done. Oh, 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 she, oh she's an absolutely miserable person. Yep. Sin. Yeah, her life sucks. Uh, I mean, less her life sucks. I mean, yeah, her life does suck, but uh, the way she goes about dealing with her circumstances is also not particularly sympathetic. And then there's Delling Rambran. He's an asshole. (laughs) And the leader of the Megacorp. Uh, He doesn't really respect Minerai and is actually secretly working with Prospera on the Quiet Zero project, but it's quite clear that Prospera doesn't fucking trust him. And when push comes to shove, she's like, bye, biatch. Uh, playing Prospera Mercury is Elizabeth Maxwell. Playing Eric uh, Samaya is Sarah Wiedenhoff. 
Playing Belmaria Winston's uh, Anastasia Munoz and playing Delling Rembrandt is Gabe Kunda. Elizabeth Maxwell, you'll know as characters such as Say Nijima in Persona 5. Sarah Wiedenhaf, you'll know as Ruby Kurosawa in Love Live Sunshine. Had to keep that sunrise tie! Uh, Anastasia Munoz, you'll know as Coco uh, Heckmutter in Jormungun. And Gabe Kunda, you'll know as Kaburagi in Decadence. Uh, I think let's start with just Delling and Belmera first. Because as much as Del Gabe does a really good job as Delling and being this imposing assholey father thing, uh, once Delling kind of gets shot, he doesn't do a ton. Uh, 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 yeah, he is kind of an coma for like the entire back half of the show. But for the first half of the show, he is a pretty uh, he's a pretty blooming presence. And it is kind of funny. It is kind of funny once again, like thinking back to you today, because well. Uh, because while uh, Sadiq does look more, while Sadiq does resemble Akio more, uh, in essence, in essence, uh, in essence, here is probably closer to being the Akio of the show for at least the first half in terms of being like the kind of very powerful symbol of authority that's sort of living over everything. Mm-hmm. I, I'll say this about that because. It's basically Gabe Kuda's "If I Speak," but as a as a ruthless company president, more or less. Because the whole thing with Delling is that you know, I I guess when it comes down to business, when it comes down to brass tacks, it's basically you either with me or you're in my way. So I still remember at the early parts where the. He cut off some ties with some uh, some of the companies, even though they could bounce back in the corporation. They just decided to cut all funding for him. I mean, he decided to cut all the funding. Then, and then he becomes president of this group that's uh, Outlaws Gun Formats. And I'm like, what is he getting at here? And then basically has uh, almost the entire fantasy institute eradicated, like, except for, <laughs> except for Eldora Eric, that's about it. But I really like how Gabe has a commanding presence with his voice, and he thinks there's something else at play, especially when they explain the whole Quiet Zero thing and how part of it, it was a promise with a Mia Reed's mother. Uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like you were saying, uh, I thought Gabe did a really good job making Delling sound like very... A very authoritative. Like in general, this is a guy who was just very clearly my way or the highway. Like, like, like he, like he knows he's important and he believes his opinions are the only ones who's important. So, so he very much sees himself as the authority at the authority yeah. on everything, and he won't hear a second opinion from anyone else. And uh, Gabe does that across really well. It's funny because I'm still thinking back to that party when Miri just comes up to her father and asks her to vote. Trying to, I guess, trying to display like some kind of pride or something. And she, he could have just left her hanging high and dry during the situation, but somehow he just folded. Yes, uh, oh, yes, yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah, like in the early episodes, you're kind of meant to, you're kind of meant to be under the impression that he sees. And he also kind of sees Mirna as just sort of a, as a sort of an object or a tool for him to be used. and doesn't really think of her as a person, and, and like, and to an extent, like, and to an extent, the latter is true that he doesn't 
really think of her as her own individual with weapons. A father probably should, but as we get close, but as we get deeper to the show, it is apparent that he does care for her on like some level. It is, and like it is in his own way doing what he thinks is best for her. It's just what it's like what he thinks for best for what he thinks is best is having absolute control over her life, and uh, you know, like hey, I'll wear you off to whoever is strongest because you know, like strength is all that matters and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, that was apparently evident in the. Uh... I think the third episode or so, when uh, Selena wins the duel and uh, she's about to be expelled from school, and Miri just steps in. Both him and Eldor allow this battle to continue to prove that Ariel is not a Gundam when we already know it is. Because he's looking to gain mm-hmm. something from it, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think the thing that kind of really yeah, kind of gets his entire character across is during that whole conversation. I said, where you that where you hear where you hear Mirade like trying to like be the case for Suleta and his entire like and like and basically his entire counter argument is if I if I say it's a Gundam, it's a Gundam end of story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Megan? You guys anything to say about a game as Dellinger? Uh yeah, I think he does a pretty good job as Delling. Like I said, um I'm not as as I like, I just feel like Delling. Like I think he does a good job. He's in whole. He's impa- imposing when he needs to, but I I don't necessarily find the performance super as uh, super memorable because you know Delling kind of gets like put in a coma for like a while. Yeah, but what? Uh, but who? Your public had to be number one. I mean, yeah, like I think he does a good job, especially in uh the OVA when he gives the big speech. I think he's got enough command and. And ang- like command and presence in there to really knock it out of the park. Uh, and then we move to Anastasia Munoz's Belmera, who, good God, this woman's life sucks. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. Of the four here, I think she's the only one that actually showed remorse throughout the entire series because you already see what happened with her in the prologue. You already see what goes on throughout this entire series to the point that she actually helps Earth House. What's the Gundam technology? Yep. Uh, yeah, I think this character is very interesting, and especially in how she develops over the course of the show and with her that assassin's performance, because uh, in the early parts of the show, she's, uh, you know, she uh, she's just kind of a very helpful assistant to someone in the gang, and uh, Anastasia gets that across really well. But then as you get deeper into the show and you learn more about her backstory, uh, so, uh, you see that she's not, if not, that she's, if not necessarily malicious, she is kind of a little bit more self-serving than would appear at first glance. And then, like, when everything comes, then when everything comes out, and she's like, and she goes, oh, I did what I have to, it's like, yeah, it's, just, it's like, yeah, her circumstances are kind of pitiable, but at the same time, a lot of what's kind of got in her mouth is, like, self-pity, because, yeah, she's been through some really horrible circumstances, and, like, what happened to her was unfortunate. But at the same time, uh, no one forced her to experiment on children. Uh, she did that all on her own. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought uh, Anastasia did a really good job of uh, kind of getting everything about, everything about that moment with that character across really well. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, again, her circumstances didn't kind of suck, but I honestly didn't really feel bad for her towards the end, like... Just there's just some part of her performance is just very much like watching a puppy being kicked. Oh god. 
I'm sorry. I'm, like, poor Belmaria is, like, constantly getting dicked around by everybody around her. Like, nobody's being nice to this fucking woman. Like, except for the kids. Uh, Jet, you were saying? I mean, again, that's true, but, I, but also at the same time, you know, again, you know. Uh, it's on children. Uh, not, not a very good look there. Yeah, stop committing war crimes, Belmaria. Maybe your life would go better. Jesus, you ignorant slut. Um. Uh, I, I actually, I, I liked Anastasia's performance on here. I think it's actually fairly underrated for the show. I think she has this kind of older voice of a broken down woman who's just like pleading with life to stop shitting on her, but she also created her own misfortune by, you know constantly just doing what the megacorp told her to yeah. uh into hell with the kids and it's like please you can still use him it's like yeah we don't care just get us a new one we know you'll do it and like i think that level of guilt is always in anastasia's voice and then you have it con contrasting with prospera who's like hell yeah I, I cloned my kid 13 times uh what you gonna do cry about it um and she's kind of yanking Belmaria's chains and pulling her strings until uh, this woman finally decides to do something and get somebody else killed. And I, I believe you see her at the very end of the gravesite of the woman that she got killed. Um, but I liked Anastasia's performance. I think it was genuinely one that I don't see a lot of people really talking about. So uh, I think it was a lot of... I think it's really nice to always see Anastasia hear Anastasia Munoz and stuff. Yeah. I feel like she always isn't in things, and she's a very talented actress. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, I like, oh yeah, I like her a lot whenever she did things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamal. I always said my thoughts. Oh shit! Everybody said their thoughts. All right, let's get to the awkward family drama that is Ari and uh and uh and uh, Prospera. So remember what I told you? I had a funny story about saying the frit the name the. <laughs> saying the the phrase Onisan or Onichan. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of things in in Gundam usually references other Gundams. You know, giant X amount of years franchise that Gundam is. Uh so a lot of things I noticed in this show reference the only Gundam I'd ever finished before watching Witch for Mercury, and that is Gundam X after war. I love Gundam X After War. It's fucking great. Uh, you should watch it. It's sub only and only locked, locked onto Blu-ray, but it's a good time if you find it. Um, so there's a character. There, the villains in that are a pair of brothers named the Frost Brothers. And uh, I, Jamal, I don't know how familiar you are with Seiyu, uh, but Jet, do you know the name uh, Nomozu Sasaki? Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar, but not off the top of my head. Let me give you guys uh, some some uh, names that he's played. Uh, he was the Japanese Yusuke Yurameshi in Yu Yu Hakusho. Oh, cool. He was uh, Ruka in Revolutionary Girl Utna. Uh, he was Johan Liebert in the Japanese Monster. Oh, so but uh, yeah, yeah. But, and, uh, he was mellow in Death Note. Oh, so, uh, so, uh, so, okay, okay, like, most of those I haven't heard of Japanese that I do remember mellow in Death Note. And I thought, ah, the good old chocolate memes. So. <laughs> I beg your pardon? 
<laughs> oh man, fucking fucking Death Note memes and Death Note's Prime were a fucking thing of beauty. Um, so you know how you know how Aries says big sister a lot, and the phrase get big sister gets thrown around in this a lot. So in Gundam Max, the phrase Nissan got used a lot, specifically by Sasuke's character, Oba. So much so that he actually got PTSD from it. Oh my god. Incredible. He literally has an aversion to saying the phrase because they're Gundam Max. <laughs> That's my funny Gundam story. Um, but man, speaking of, uh... Speaking of, uh, little siblings, man, uh... Have any of your parents ever loved a sibling so much that when they died, they uploaded it into a giant murder robot and said it wasn't for murdering, but it was? Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, but it does sound like a pretty mess of family dynamic. Uh-huh. It, it's like, uh, it's just, I love, I love the fucking, the fucking terrifying child zone that is Airy, Airy saying, get the fuck out of my Gundam. Just all of a sudden, there's like eight of her running around, going, "You're not allowed here!" And like Sarah Wiedenhaft's just playing a little kid, and you're just like, "Is this like the Mecha version of The Shining?" Yeah, to which we'll get into it later. But I do, but I do appreciate that. So I do appreciate that Eric did want to have different voices. So like, uh, like, like it would have been all right if they were voiced by the same actor, and I would have accepted that. But it is kind of interesting they went with two separate actors for these two, and they got two actors that did sound at least a little similar. Oh, uh, oh yeah, they do sound pretty similar. And they shared the same birthday. <laughs> uh, okay, um, that's just funny. Uh, oh, that is extremely funny. <laughs> um. I, I do think that there is a little... The only missed opportunity, I would say, with Eric's performance is I think it's time to rip this band-aid off that Eric and and via that Suleta are very much interpreted to be Middle Eastern. And while I really do like Sarah's performance as Eric, I think she gets a lot of it right. It, it does feel like a little disheartening knowing that a Mena actress could have done just as great of a performance, but maybe maybe got denied the chance or just weren't considered for it. Um, I think that is a little bit of a letdown on the directing part, not not Sarah's fault. I'm going to explicitly say that it's not 100% their fault. Yes, uh, they should have... Well, uh, no, I was just going to say absolutely. Yeah. It is... That is a, a, a above-them moment. Um, and it's not like given recent circumstances that they went around demanding this role like another thing that had happened recently. Um, but I I like both the fact that Sarah can get that absolutely adorable innocence in episode zero of the infamous space oomphy creation. Um, and then you also get her as these, ty- these creepy fucking gunbit force ghosts and Eric herself, who is a child, a a mind that is, it's so weird in that Ari will always permanently be a child, but Ariel the Gundam was able to develop and grow up. So she has this kind of teenage adult sense of miscommunication, like all anime high school 
dramas have mm-hmm. of if I'm a dick and push them away, maybe they'll stay away and learn the lesson. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, to which I do appreciate how many people successfully called Ariel being the final boss of the show. I did not! Neither did I. <laughs> Surprise! So, so, yeah, so, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't sure if that was an arc that was going to go on for a while, but then, uh, so, uh, but then once we got to the final act, it was like, okay, yeah, you know what, that makes sense. Like, we all knew Prospero was probably going to be a bad person, but not... Ariel itself. Well, it's less that Eric is bad and more that he's just kind of willing to go along with what Proper wants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, uh, so, uh, but I do, uh, but like we were saying, I do like Sarah's performance a lot. She does, uh, she does the right job of balancing between, you know, kind of sounding like a very uh, innocent, happy, glucky kid in the prologue, and then, like, and then afterwards kind of sounding so, so, I mean, so, I mean, equally cheerful was Ariel, but also but in a very creepy and unsettling way. And then, like, mm. and, then, and then whenever you know she needs to do the forest ghost thing, just kind of sounded creepy in general. It's so, so uh, it's pretty well rounded. And I do, like, and while you know most of it's in the back half of the show, I do kind of like the interactions he gets to have with Suetta, where uh, where she is kind of trying to pull the big sister guard and keep Suetta out of danger, but Suetta's not having it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Ah, it's funny. I was gonna rip that band-aid off at the next section, but uh, I'll go into more on that at length because I feel part of this conversation might yeah. tie into that. Uh, well, for one, Sarah did a very good job as Eric because, of course, we don't we well we saw all saw the point like we didn't know what the deal was with Eric or why she was different from who's actually cast as Celeta and why that mattered until the later on the back half of season two so always seems to get to play some type of tragic girl in these kinds of shows because I still remember that one girl from Marple Keaton there was a her character in, in invaded like she she knows how to play tragedy very well and I know somehow she's listened to this episode hi Sarah Nice meeting you, Supercon. <laughs> and then, again, part of this conversation is going to tie to the next section. There's Elnora, a.k.a. Lady Prospera. For one, we understand where uh, her maliciousness comes from. Of course, we're seeking revenge on Cathedra for basically murdering her entire, almost her entire family and her friends, her, co- her colleagues, if you will. And then she pops up Decades later, different name, different face, different color. I put that in quotation marks, because I don't understand how that worked in the time she was away, but I guess... As, as, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that part, yeah, that part kind of threw me off, too. I saw a whole bunch of people speculating, thinking for a while it might be a different person of the match for some reason. Again, I'll... Yeah, I... I'll go into that. Oh, I'll go, go ahead, into Jamal. that at length in the next section, but I think for what it's worth, Elizabeth Maxwell was very good at being Eve when she needed to be, being very cunning, very cool if she has to, <laughs> very conniving, very untrustworthy, basically giving you a voice to say, "I don't trust you, but I want, I want to know what you're up to." Yeah. 
Especially with the whole, uh, especially with the whole part of the party where she explains to Selena that, that yeah, that's a gun. I'm sorry, sweetie, I didn't tell you. Whoopsie. Yep. Uh, to which, uh, on that note, uh, I'm gonna be real here, Elizabeth Maxwell. Best performance of the Doctor Bay. Oh yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna disagree with you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, like, so, uh, yeah, like she, uh, like she came out of the gate. She came out of the gate just running with this character, and it, it is delightful. Uh, because, so, uh, because Prospera in general is there, there's a lot of sides to this character, and Elizabeth has to uh, do it really has to balance them, and she does that incredibly well. But you have Prospera as the doting mother to Suena early on in the show, and she does a really good job of playing like the very. You know, very playing the very sweet mom, like she's very comforting to Selena whenever like Selena's having a bad day. And, so, and you know, so and you know, like oh, it's okay, sweetie, it's not a Gundam, you're everything's fine, and you know, Elizabeth does that uh, does that really well. And then like and then you have her being kind of like uh, the master manipulator and kind of you know, you know, egging people on without kind of letting letting on to as to what she's really after, like. Especially in a lot of her early interactions with characters like Delig or even Biorine when she's first introduced to Prospera. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I just want to get along with my, I just want to get along with my future daughter-in-law. But, she, uh, but you know, maybe you shouldn't be spending all this time doing what daddy tells you. And it is just kind of like quietly egging her on, but without like directly doing anything. And I thought that Elizabeth did a really good job with that. And then you get to the back half of the show where I can't quite say it's mask off, but he does finally reveal her intentions. And, so, mm-hmm. and like, and when she reveals everything to be RNA, just like just the just the level of anger in her voice when she's going over everything that happened to her, it's just it, it's really powerful. Elizabeth's delivery there, it's it's incredible. And uh, yeah, now there's a lot of sides to this character. Elizabeth plays them all really well, and I feel like in I feel like in some respect it is kind of weird that she does ultimately end up getting getting off and everything scot free. But I mean, eh, you know, well, well, the only punishment she kind of gets is you know she can no longer use her legs. Okay, yeah, she can no longer she can no longer use her legs, and you know the next few Thanksgivings are going to be like really awkward. But eh, hey, everyone gets a happy ending. My, I mean, hey, Aries literally in a keychain, so. Yeah, my my head cat is that Mimi probably broke her legs at some point, so. <laughs> Minori uh, took her. Oh man, it's gonna be a shame that you'll never walk again. I wonder if that'll happen faster. It's either the gun format or Mimi pulls an RKO just right. Yeah, just every Thanksgiving proper is like, and it's really hard to move my legs. I, I wonder who's responsible for that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just imagining Prosper with uh, Minori with a bat. I kind of. <laughs> that choo choo gamer. I kind of imagined Mimi Port and Elf Gatesboro just breaking out the folding chair. <laughs> Oh my god, it's Mina Ray with the steel chair! Oh man, uh, Elizabeth Maxwell is by and far the best best performance in this stuff. She is doing a lot of work. You have this 
she is like a crystal where she is radiating off what she wants you to see until it cracks. And I think in the sense that some of her strongest moments are that genuine motherly love she has for Aerie, but it's become so twisted by revenge. And if I had to give the show a a a real knock, I do I did not particularly like the whole force ghost saying it's okay you did what you had to type of shit to her. I thought she should have died. Um, I'll just say it. I think she should have died. Um, but I think the thing about Elizabeth is that she's so good at hiding her venom. It, it's very much like a true snake in the grass. She's only going to bite when she needs to. And the fact that she can be such a, a sweet, doting dumbass to some people, but then such a, a vile snake to others just shows how much Elizabeth has to work with. And I think by far Prospera is the most complicated character in the cast. And Elizabeth being as good as she is in there, I, I expect her to see uh, her in a lot of people's Dubby's Awards shortlist. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think she did great. Ready to move on to the very end? Yes, indeed. Yeah. Let's talk about our bride and the witch. Minori Rembrandt is the oldest daughter, is the only daughter of Deling Redbrand, uh, eventual heir to the Barrett group. She is being basically kept at the school as a prize. Uh, but in truth, all Minori wants to do is have her own freedoms, in a sense. Uh, she is very headstrong, outspoken, um, and she is very childish. And I think that's something she has to learn how to not to be. And then there's Saletta Mercury, who is a good-natured, naive girl from Mercury, who's being manipulated by her mom, who throughout the series grows from being kind of, I'm doing what people tell me to do because it'll make me happy, to coming into herself. And learning, like, what needs to be happy isn't always doing what someone tells you to or doing the right thing isn't the path that you've been told to take. It's clutching your own future before you to do things, even if it will hurt or even if it's not the best way. Uh, playing Saletta Mercury is Jill Harris, and playing Minori Rembrandt is Natalie Van Sistine. Jill Harris will know his character such as Umeme in Planetarian, and Natalie Van Sistine you'll know his character such as Arnhide in the second season of Inland Saga. Alright, uh, Jamal, you want to start us off? Yes, let me get up on the soapbox here, because before I start getting to the performance, this was the biggest qualm I had. And that was how people responded to this casting. Now, I understand that this character is supposed to be Middle Eastern, of Middle Eastern descent, but none of us at the beginning ever knew that, nor did we ever think that it was never established anywhere in the series, nor in the key art. And I think that was something somebody pointed out about character coding, to which my thing is this. If it's not if it's not like used as part of the storyline, it shouldn't really matter. And on top of that, race and nationality are at most times two different things. So when, when I see people try to justify one with the other, it kind of bothers me. Because I remember at the beginning, we all thought that Selena, which or should definitely be played by a person of color, but we all thought like she was kind of like black or something. We didn't know what she really was. 
I kind of perceive race differently because as someone who's a person of color, I come from a blended family. My mom is redskin, but she identifies as black. So is my brother. I I see I see the world kind of differently when it comes to characters like these. If the concept of race is not mentioned in the story or used as part of the story, this is Gundam. This is more about nationality than about races. Because Shadik is half spatial, but they never played up like the Ford aspect, except when they revealed his real name for that one daughter Ford kid. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was never it was never a further parlayed into the story. And I think for that, I think for this bit alone, I don't think Jason was being malicious in his casting. I think what he did was, again, the season came out, this dub came out a season after the sub dropped, so he had time to let this cook. He focused more on the core aspect of the character, and that is Selena Mercury being an anxious person who doesn't know how to handle herself just yet. Because you gotta remember, we find out that she's a replica child, which... I don't know what method of clothing they took for that, and that's probably not important right now. So, she didn't have much of an upbringing. As a matter of fact, there's a story out there that was published from the Gundam people on Twitter. I'll, po- I'll post the link in the description that explains uh, Aries and Selena's upbringing. And Selena doesn't really know what's going on. All I know is that she feels comfortable with Ariel. So, when she gets her first taste of a normal life, She's kind of anxious on how to go about it. And I think, and I know we're just going to go into this at some point. I think they kind of casted Selena very well because I've seen Jill play these types of characters. Hell, I've even seen her in person where she can be a little anxious at times. I know she knows how to play that character. The only real problem was when they had to dial in that anxiety because, you know, you can be as frantic as you need to be, but... You gotta know where to tone it down somewhere. I thought she did very well as Selena. To the point, so there was a one point on Twitter that uh, she accidentally fell down the stairs and uh, hurt herself. And she made that one noise in that one episode when Miri just punches her in the chest. And I, I thought, wow, that's <laughs> being true to your character. But, you know, there, 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 there are some things you can't help. But I think. At, at its core, Jill did a very good job as Selena. Especially, like, towards the end where the, you know, the two finally get together and uh, Selena tried to regain control of her body after being exposed to the uh, gun format. I mean, you see at the end with a, a pair of crutches besides her. Man, if I had two, if I mm-hmm. had two nickels for every time a red-headed witch was, uh, became handicapped by the end of a series, I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's with it. It's happened twice. Jamal, I try to purge that series from my memory at all time. Why did you do this to I me? I had to make the joke back in. Well, at least Suleta never never fire and rode a gun between her leg with no pants on. I know where you're going with <sighs> that, and I must remind you, I am not Andrew. Yeah. Just throwing that out there. Anywho, as for Mirin, I, I did very well as Mirin, because for one thing, you don't hear a lot of these types of roles. She's like, she's really coming into her own lately. Like, and I met her at a talk with earlier this year. I explained to her that like her voice is kind of like, 
if Abney Carter's like purged like the uh the I guess the roughest parts of her voice and it just became Natalie. Because I can definitely hear at most points it definitely sounds like Abner to me to be honest. And uh the way she could just be brash and kinda harsh, you know, like also suave too, but you know, she knows what she wants, she knows how to get it. And she knows there are people that will stand in her way, but it doesn't matter to her as long as she knows how to meet her goal. And uh, the whole, the, with the whole uh, dueling game going on, she's just trying to find a way out, just trying to find a way to Earth. And at the end, she kind of succeeds, and her and Celeste get together. And I thought those two, I thought these two were a very good pairing. And uh, I know Elizabeth Maxwell had the best performance in the show, but uh, these two had some of the best moments for me in the show, especially the one where the two are just talking out in space and uh, Solana just feels that she's made me read angry when really she made her happy, you know? Uh, yeah, that was going to read. Yeah, I thought that felt very good. And it, it, it's, it's just... It was just beautiful all over. Like the way they approached it from start to finish, even the awkward moments with Celine, where I kind of had to cover up my eyes a bit because you know when you're an anxious person in a new setting, sometimes you can do some kind of things to be that might come off very cringe. But you know, you're just trying to be the best person you can be, the as normal as normal as you can be in the setting. You know, but overall, these two did a very good job and. I probably should get a bottle of water, because I think this is the most I ever talked consecutively in one, <laughs> one sitting. I feel ya. Uh, I'll go next. Do you mind if I go next and I'll let you finish it out, Jamal? Uh, Jet? Oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, no. So, I do, like, I both agree and disagree with some points that you had, Jamal, but I think the thing that really... And I'm not, I, I've already brought up my point about the casting, and I 100% agree Jason Lord did not do this out of malice. Uh, we have seen what a, a casting out of malice looks like. Yeah, let's um, not talk about that, please. Yeah, I, that's, I, I'm being very vague about it for a reason. <laughs> um, but the thing that I like, and I'll admit, Suleta did take a little bit to settle down. Jill did take a little bit of time to settle into Suleta as a role because Suleta does, you know, have a lot of anxiety. But I think the thing that really excels for me and Jill's preference is how warm she makes Suleta. Yeah. Like, I feel a very genuine sense of warmth and friendship and wanting to be a nice, normal girl in her performance. And I also sense that childish adherence to your parents word where like you know like when she at the end of season one where she just straight up smashes oh yeah holy shit this look on Mia Reed's face yeah we're like unflinching murder the look on Mia Reed's face baby's first crime I am sad there's not a gift for that well there's a gift for a little question the guy but not Mia Reed's face after that but like that that whole childishness of of I helped you and like she doesn't like Suleta can't process that doing that was a bad thing because her mom told her to and like I'll admit like 
I, I know some people are probably going to think I'm saying this in a malicious way, and I don't mean this in a malicious way at all, I swear to God. Like, if Suleta Mercury was- if you told me Suleta Mercury was autistic, I'd believe you. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, uh, I don't think it's an autistic Like, last two Gundams I've seen, Mikazuki, Suleta, on the spectrum. <laughs> Especially Mikazuki. Um, but there's this, like, that level of, like, you can see how much she's been, like, emotionally manipulated- in that, and I also love how when you finally see Suleta finally crack as a person like that, where she's just trying to push on like nothing bad has ever happened, and she stops eating, and she stops going to class, and she finally cries in front of other people. I think that moment is where she really turns the, the full point to become the only person who could save everybody. Because I think if she doesn't have that, she can't pilot, pilot Calabarn and go into Area Zero and tell her mom no. Like, the first time she's told her mom, no, this is not what I'm doing. I'm doing what is best and it's not what you want. And I find it kind of so funny and ironic that the two forms of a mother's love is what saves which is what causes things and saves everything. Because Prospera's toxic love and attachment to Eri and Les Suleta almost damns the universe, but it's Minore's mom's genuine love for her that saves everybody. Because, you know, she put the fucking password in a genetic tomato code. Yeah, that was smart. Mm. To which, Natalie Van Sistine as Minoray is fantastic. I think that she's got all of that angry teenage girl angst in there, as well as the pride of a child trying to act like an adult. It's, it's very much someone who always thinks that they know what's best, and that not- and in a way she is also a lot like Shadik, where she, but she doesn't want to admit that letting- that she has also hardened her heart and boxed people out. Because remember, she doesn't even believe in helping Suleta on a lot of things at first until she's, like, hard convinced that it can fuck over her dad. And she eventually comes to love her. And I think Natalie gets that across. And you see these great moments of her vulnerability and her pain when she makes these mistakes, because when Minori makes mistakes, they're not little mistakes, they're catastrophic mistakes. They're mistakes that get people killed. They are they are things that traumatize her. And it's the fact that these two girls who are traumatized and denied their own agency and find it in each other and that's what saves things is really great. And I really like that Natalie's performance matches Jill's in in pace to pace. I do think Natalie's a little stronger than Jill's performance, but overall, I I genuinely liked both performances a lot. Uh, Jet. Ah, uh, cool. Um, all right. So uh, I think I'll start with Jill. So, uh, if I read completely honest, I pretty like personally, I think she kind of needed an episode or two to completely get into character. Uh, I watched the Japanese, uh, like I mentioned before, I did watch the show Simulcast, and 
And uh, speaking a bit personally, uh, given that Selena is a pretty, like, uh, socially awkward and uh, kind of vexed person as mentioned before, uh, one of the things I liked about the Japanese performance was how Kari Tinose's take kind of had Selena kind of stumbling or mumbling a lot of her words in the beginning, which, uh, as a person with a lot of social anxiety myself, and as a person who kind of tends to nervous stutter a lot when I get excited, uh, is that you've probably heard it numerous times over the course of this episode, or pretty much any episode I'm on, and it can be kind of annoying, but, uh, yeah, but, yeah, that is a thing for me, and it's something I can relate to, so it's a probably performance I liked. And, uh, comparatively with Jill's performance, at least for the early parts of the show, it kind of felt like she was there to do more of what I would kind of call the more, like, shy boy anime girl kind of thing, which is, you know, that's fine, and she does it really well. Like, there's nothing performance-wise I would, I would complain about, but... Uh, but uh, but there's a little less nuance in that than what I felt kind of was doing early on. And, so, and, so, and I felt like a lot of the aspects I mentioned before uh, with Kyle's performance in regards to a lot of, like, the sampling or kind of bubbling over words and things like that. I, saw, like, I noticed a lot of that kind of got gradually added to Jill's performance over the course of the show. When, so, and, so, and thanks to that, it definitely did grow on me with time, but I do think it kind of took... Uh, maybe, and, and I see maybe, like, I don't know, like, midway through episode two or so for, like, I think Jill with Jason to kind of get a complete graph of where they wanted to go with the character. And then after that, I thought it was really consistent. Uh, but aside from that, I really did like the performance a lot. Uh, really did do it, really did capture a lot of what I thought made Sweater really interesting in the character. Uh, between a lot of the anxiety and as mentioned before, the kind of childish aspect of like just constantly obeying her mom and not really being and not really being able to think for herself, and I thought that Jill got a lot of that across really well. And this, uh, and just in general, I think, and you know, just a lot of general moments of her kind of trying and struggling to kind of open up to people. Uh, I think one moment I like particularly was like in episode eleven where. Uh, Selena's kind of struggling with anxiety over, over feeling like she doesn't really contribute anything to the group, you know. And, so, so, uh, so, uh, and it's like, and you know, it's little things like, oh, like, it's little, it's little things like, oh, like, uh, everyone was giving out lunches and, like, she didn't get hers, so she thinks she was intentionally left out. Or, like, everyone has things to do when she feels like she doesn't, and she feels really secure about that. And starts to feel like no one wants her around, and uh, yeah, uh, those are anxieties I can uh, relate to quite a bit. And mm -hmm. I thought it was really nice to see those kind of anxieties taken seriously. And I thought that Jill I did a really great job of making someone to come off as a bundle of nerds there without getting too over the top with it. And I and I liked her delivery in that episode a lot. And then, mm -hmm. as mentioned before, I do think she did a really good job handling the evolution of Solana as she kind of grew more confident and. And eventually gets, eventually gains a degree of independence from her mother, and is eventually able to cut her off in the finale. And it feels well earned. And I thought Jill did a really great job there. Mm -hmm. And then going into uh, Natalie with Miori Day, uh, I know I said before that Elizabeth was my favorite performance in the show. I would say Natalie comes in a very close second. Uh, I felt like she really understood the character uh, pretty much immediately and had. Your day stand off nature just kind of like nailed down to a science pretty much right off the bat. 
And uh, it's definitely interesting because while well, Mirrorday does act frequently a lot of the time, and Natalie does that really well, especially early on in the show, you can definitely see through her performance how Suena kind of gradually causes her to soften up a bit. And I especially, handed, I especially liked how uh, she handled everything during like, uh, the whole party thing, where Suena kind of gets put on a pseudo-witch trial at the dinner party. And Riordan goes out of her way to stand up for Suleta for the first time, and he's even willing to uh, put up with her terrible dad for it and, like, asking for help, which, for someone as powerful as Riordan, that, uh, that was definitely a big sacrifice, and uh, that's definitely true love if I've ever seen it, and uh, Riordan definitely... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, he definitely feel for Riordan there, and Natalie's performance there was really great. And I definitely liked her delivery in episode 11, where... Uh, she's defending Suleta over her growing anxieties and just, and convinces Suleta that she really does want her around and is important to her. But uh, just, you know, basically full-on love confession there, and Natalie does a really good job of handling every aspect of that scene really well, including getting frustrated over Suleta's refusal to stop being mean to herself. And, you know, and then, you know, the whole part where she was kind of, like, making Suleta making demands of Suleta throughout that entire conversation. Yeah. was, like, pretty amusing. It's just, like, it's just me that whole, it's just me that whole, like, oh, I want you to clean my room every day, because it's kind of, and he, and, and then he kind of, like, sees Suleta's face in that moment. It's, it's really funny. It's really <laughs> cute. All right, are we already moving to final thoughts? Yes. All right, uh, Jamal, you go first. Well... Uh... This is not my first rodeo doing a Gundam dub talk. Uh, unlike uh, I Have Blooded Orphans, I managed to keep up with this one on streaming. This is actually the first Gundam I've ever finished, if you can believe it. <laughs> Yay! Congratulations! And, uh... Having, having seen it fully now, I will say, this is... I don't care what most people say. This is this would probably be a good one to start. If you were to start with Gundam, you don't have to start with any other Gundam as Megan demonstrated already. I I think the story is beautiful, the setting and everything. It, it all just seems to flow together. The dub is almost perfect. Yeah, there'll be a few hiccups here and there. Of course, you already heard my qualms. Me. But Jamal, why would you say something so controversial yet so brave? Well, that's just my reality. That's just my observation, you know. You don't have to agree with me. You can form your own opinion on the dub. I will just say, at least give it a chance. Because you can tell how much work has been put into this series. Like, I think more than any other anime I've ever watched this year, to be honest. And, uh... Just, uh, your mileage may vary in certain areas, but give it a watch. You will not be disappointed. And let me tell you, it is, it is so memorable. I didn't even have time to reach watch this series, but I can still recall almost every moment. That's how good it is. Well, that the socks, but yeah, you really need to give this a shot, <laughs> please. Awesome. Jack? Um, yes, uh, yeah, I really like this show a lot, and so, uh, really good, solid commentary, really good, it's a, it's a, a really good job of kind of uh, bringing Gundam, I can't say bringing Gundam into the modern era, because Gundam's done a pretty good job of adjusting to modern times really well, but 
It's like, but it's like, yeah, if you really want to make a gun for modern audiences, this was like definitely the way to do it. And and as best before, I really do appreciate just like all the you can nods. It's just, it's a, if yeah, I mean, hey, if you're gonna rip off anything, why not do it to them? Like, we the work of these right. spinoffs. We need more of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, as far as the dub goes, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, as mentioned before, so, and there are certain aspects of how like some of the actors were directed, and I would kind of nitpick here and there. But on the whole, I thought the dub sounded really solid. Uh, a lot of really good performances. A couple I was really impressed with. And on the whole, I think it's a. Re- and on the whole, I think it's really solid and. Uh, if Roots is in the Takeyata show, you, I definitely the double do you wrong here. I think that the dub has some consistency issues in the back half of the casting, and uh, if they went and polished this up for home video, like I wouldn't be offended if they did. I think that the dub is very solid, um, definitely comes together when it needs to, Um Overall, it's a it was an easy dub to watch. Like I'm not gonna say it wasn't hard. It was a hard dub to watch. In fact, it was very easy to get through and sit through because I put my Nintendo Switch on my work desk and put Crunchyroll up and just watched it off of there, and it sounded great. By the way, uh, for as much as the the tiny ass little speaker on a Nintendo Switch sounds, it actually sounded very good. Um, I do think that there, again, there are nitpicks here and there. I'll see how I feel about it as an end-of-the-year project when I sit down and actually go through more things from this year, because we're finally getting into that time as of this recording. Uh, but with, but I guess the biggest thing to say is how you feel about this dub is up to interpretation. Well, if I had to get at least one of those jokes in there somewhere. I was holding it in the whole time. Yeah, by the way... Uh, my biggest complaint is to the uh, cowards at Bandai's executives. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're gay and married. Eat my ass. Uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. There was like, it, it literally could not have possibly been any clearer they were married. Just but that was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, they're gay. Keep scrolling. Uh, if you would like to keep scrolling to watch uh, this, you can watch it on Crunchyroll, and I believe it is still up on Gundam Info. Uh, the Gundam Info YouTube, which is Gundam's official YouTube, and if you, uh, they rotate shows out there all the time, and they have different things, uh, including the stuff from Nozomi, which, uh, now that CR owns right stuff and therefore owns Nozomi, they should probably hopefully be getting more Gundam titles up streaming on their site, I hope and pray. Um, but yeah, if you like this, the sub and the dub is out. At the time of this recording, I do not believe home video has been discussed for it this yet. It has not been announced yet. Yeah, it has not been announced for home video at this time, but if it does, uh, you will know where to get it and there will be announcements for it. Uh, If you like us, we are the Dub Talk Podcast. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, uh, Tumblr, whatever the hell we're on. Our podcast is on both Apple uh, Apple Podcast and Spot and Podbean. Hi, I'm back again. Uh... The effort to get through the episode, we accidentally forgot to plug ourselves. So, if you want to know where we can find us, uh, Megan can be found on Twitter at Queen02. She should post on the regular. Jack can be found on Twitter at Divine Nega. He's also part of the podcast, uh, Podcast ONA, alongside his fellow Dub Talk co host, Andrew. He also has a blog called The Nerdy Abyss. 
where most of the time you're just blocking about the latest stuff, he's free to get shorty jump. So you give it a check, it's pretty good stuff. As for me, I've been assistant editor for the podcast. It can be found on Twitter at Jabstar529, on YouTube at Jabstar1. I am trying to get something going, but right now it's just collecting dust. And we're also available on Blue Sky. So for right now, we're also sticking with our Twitter because, you know, because Twitter's so dumpstified, but right now we'll stick with it best we can, you know. Anyway, back to the episode. <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to support us as a one-time, you can use our coffee. But if you'd like to support us on the regular, we do have a Patreon. And we'd like to give out a shout-out to our $5 Patreons, Michelle Travis, Victor Mayborda, and of course, my parents. And our $10 tier Patreons, Anthony Brown, Carly Lestikow, Kim Wasu, Marissa Lenti, and Otaku Anthony. And thank you. Uh, and as for our wonderful theme song that is done by Pom Poco in the Dis... Dense, aka Gabriel Portinelli. Yeah. Um, and you can find his their info linked below. Uh, gentlemen, the duel is over, and now we can go before the uh, gun horrors chase us out of this building that we stole. Ah, uh, yeah. To which there is only one final thing I must say. Uh, pay that crunchy roll. Uh, you, you, you know, uh, you, you've got a lot of real estate. You've got a zone in your pocket now. Uh, you know, it would be a really cool thing to do. Uh, you uh, you can take that new title license to give us a new dub. Just 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 slap the gun to Mercury gas right on there. You, you can do it. It would be extremely funny. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm sure Joel Harris would make a really good internet. Just do it. <laughs> I kind of thought about bread, but yeah, I see your point. Uh, if you're listening, hey, uh, Sunrise, I know you like uh, don't like Gundam X existing, but you should really let them dub it. I want to see somebody experience the new type dolphins in English. Oh, yeah, because you brought up earlier with the Nintendo Switch. Uh, if y'all get a chance to listen to these opening and ending songs, I suggest you do so on YouTube. Because trust me, listening to it from a sidebar does not do Red Birth Mock Justice. Absolutely not. It's the best ED. Mm -hmm. Also, also, I guess if we're saying uh, controversial Gundam takes, uh, Slash by Yama was the superior opening. Uh, uh, I'll take your word for it. Uh, gentlemen, do you want to say goodnight? Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, have a good night, all. Good night, Otaku on, and Ilya Akta S. This episode is over. Everybody have a good night. And remember, if your family members are awkward to you, just threaten their kneecaps. They don't need them. Good night.